Alana JLo. Yes. I thought you were going to take out the trash before we did this. No, I said I said later. Okay. But, but not right now. We had a fun morning, babes. Certainly. <laughs> you made me some hot chocolate. You had some yourself. I shared with you my thoughts on the prison system. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go into it here, but suffice it to say, mm -hmm. there may be a few issues where I lean a little bit more to the right than you do. No, no. As far no, as criminal no, justice. I think, I think it's pretty extreme. I mean, even even as conservative as I am, I think it's that's even extreme for me. Do we want to get into it here or no? I I I'm, I could go either way. We could talk about it. Why don't we, we talk about it later? Okay. <laughs> I I think it's I think it's pretty sick. Um, <laughs> I don't. I I really don't think uh, a, a a conservative. Uh, even, I don't even think an ultra conservative person would even want that. I think it's too extreme. Yeah. See, I think in some ways I I am liberal, but I go. There are these weird issues where I go hard, hard, hardcore conservative. Um, okay. It's not on I, social things. Like I will say that I think uh, castration is a suitable punishment for, for said criminals. We, we sexual will get in, offenders. We, we will get into that in a little bit. Um, I don't think that feeding them to lions is the best answer because either I, I do, I, I don't even think the death penalty is, but I think that they need to be isolated. Okay, so I guess we're going to get into it now since you said <laughs> my position. No, okay, anyway, uh, I don't want to get into it now. But okay. I'll, 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 I will expand on how I think about this. Later on. Later on, yeah. We will both expand. But it was a fun topic, I thought. <laughs> Albeit very sick. Uh oh And sadistic. Uh oh Yes. The hot chocolate was good, though, babes. Thank you. Yes. You cleaned up the kitchen a little bit. A little bit, yes. Um, and we discussed some of the movies we watched last night. Yes, we certainly did. Should we get into that first? Yes, we should. Do you want me to give a synopsis of From Dust Till Dawn? Yes. Okay. First, let me talk about my history with the movie. I am a big Quentin Tarantino fan, but back when this movie was released, I was even more obsessed with his work. I loved Pulp Fiction. I thought he was a great uh, guest on talk shows because he would really go into the history of film. And you know that that's something I like to pontificate about. Mm. And I saw that he w did a new film with Robert Rodriguez directing that Quentin Tarantino had written the screenplay for. Harvey Keitel was in it, who I loved from playing the wolf in Pulp Fiction and also playing Mickey Cohen in Bugsy, which is an underrated movie. And George Clooney was in it. I was excited to see this movie. The day it comes out, <clears throat> I skip school. Of course. And I make my mom <laughs> take me to go and see this movie at Lloyd Center. They, I'm assuming they still have this, but on the third floor, next to their food cart, they have uh, some movie theaters. We go up to buy the tickets. Guy says he can't sell them to us. They go and get the manager who lets us in. Because my mom and I don't look alike. <laughs> that was kind of a funny story. We go in and see this movie, and I had high expectations. But this film blew those away. It was such an incredible film, in my opinion. And it's one of those movies I've watched many, many, many times throughout the years. I've shown it to people, friends, family, and it's very divisive. So... That's a little bit of my history. And I will say that the last time I saw this, before last night, was 
on New Year's Eve going into New Year's Day 2001. Mm -hmm. And I remember that day I had gotten into an argument with my mom and also a conflict with one of my friends. So it was a tense day. Wow. I went, coincidentally enough, to Lloyd Center to buy the new Jay-Z album, which is basically his Unplugged album mm. that he did with MTV. It was his follow-up, or I guess his, his release right after the blueprint. Mm -hmm. I remember being disappointed. Oh, really? Because it had so many songs from that album. Oh, okay. And I would have liked him to do a few more obscure tunes. Uh -huh. So that was the environment the last time I saw this picture. Mm -hmm. And now, almost 20 years later, I got to revisit it with you. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the film. It starts off, this cop drives up to a convenience store in Texas. He goes inside, chats with the clerk a little bit, and he says he has to use a bathroom. So he goes to the bathroom. Richie and Seth Gecko who are played by Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney, <clears throat> come over to the clerk. They were hiding in the back of the store, and they basically says, Clooney says, as Seth Gecko, you know, what were you trying to do? You got to get that cop out of here. And Richie whispers in his ear that he was trying to motion to the cop that something was up. Oh. Seth says, okay, let's be cool. And if we see anything weird, we're going to go crazy in here. Uh -huh. They have some hostages. They move away. And they're two women, right? Yes. Okay. The cop comes out of the bathroom and Richie shoots him in the head, says that the clerk was trying to mouth the words, help us mm -hmm. to the officer. Then a gunfight ensues. The hostages escape. Richie and Seth kill the clerk Somebody shoots Seth in his hand, on his hand, right? Yes, that was the clerk before yeah. he died. Yeah. They leave. Get the opening music. End up in the hotel room with Richie and Seth. They take out their hostage, Gloria, and bring her into the hotel. And we learn that they robbed a bank after Richie broke Seth out of prison. Mm -hmm. They need to get into Mexico that night and meet up with this man, Carlos. They're going to pay him 30% of their take from the bank robbery mm -hmm. in exchange for protection in Mexico. Right. Seth leaves. Richie uh, is very creepy and uh, basically kills the hostage. Let's put it that way. Yeah. She, without yeah. without yeah. giving anything away. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Seth comes back, sees what Richie did, freaks out a little bit on him. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a family that we first meet at this diner and the father is Harvey Keitel, who plays Jacob, Juliet Lewis, who plays Kate. And I forgot the actor's name. Who, who plays Scott. Yeah, yeah, but he's good in it too. Yeah. And, you know, Kate and Scott are basically teenagers. Scott goes to the bathroom and and we find out that Jacob used to be a minister, I believe. Mm -hmm. But he's lost sort of his love for God. He still believes in Jesus, but he doesn't have love for Jesus. He is, yeah, he's, he seems very jaded. Mm -hmm. They go back to the hotel room. Richie and Seth need to get out of town. 
Richie knocks on the door of Jacob. He answers the door, and him and Seth come in, take the family hostage, take their RV, and drive into Mexico. And and uh, uh, Seth threatens that if you don't do what we say, then your family's going to die. Your, your, your whole family's going to die, and you're going to die. Yes. When we're driving into Mexico... There's a few interesting things. I don't want to give everything away. Yeah. But Zeth starts having this conversation with Jacob. And we find out that Jacob's wife died one night when she was driving home because the brakes in the car gave out. And it was raining. Yes. She crashed and it took her about six hours to pass away. Terrible way to go. And that's what led to his loss in faith. Yeah, it's it's a terrible way to go. Yeah. Yeah. They get into Mexico... There's some commotion. At one point, George Clooney knocks out Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And I love the scene after they're in Mexico when he wakes him up. And Richie's like, what happened, what man? Happened? And Seth responds with, oh, you oh, were saying you, something about your hand hurting? And then you fell or something. I think you hit something with your hand. and Yes. <laughs> it was like something, some weird story that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, the other thing I want to say. When they're in the RV, but before they get to Mexico, actually, when they go into the hotel room, Juliet Lewis was in the bathroom and she steps out. She turns to Richie and says something that we don't have to repeat here. And, 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 and but, but we also, can I say this at least? Go that, ahead. That this was all in his head. Yes. The part and, of. And I didn't even realize it. The, what she said to him. Yeah. And it comes up later in the movie when they're in the RV. Quentin Tarantino looks at Kate and says, did you want me to do that thing uh, yeah, you said you know, in the hotel room? Like, what did I say? And he's like, you know, that thing that you said in the room. Like, what did I say? And she's, he's like, you know, that... And when, then... When you asked me to eat your... And, and, and then, then George Clooney interrupts with, Richie, I told you to watch those kids, not talk, talk to, to them. them. Yeah. Yes. I love that. That was just... That was... Yeah. Okay. So they're in Mexico. They get to this bar called the Titty Twister. And Cheech Marin is kind of like this hype man who's mm-hmm. outside of the bar encouraging people to come in. Mm-hmm. George Clooney thinks he's a little bit of a jerk, so he punches him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino then proceeds to kick him. Yep. We go inside. It's a rowdy place. It's only meant for truckers. And but, bikers. Right. But Harvey Keitel vouches for Richie and Seth. Mm-hmm. Sit down, start drinking. There's a show, meaning a band. There's a band, and then there's a this uh, woman with a, a snake. Yes. On her, on her. Cheech Marin comes into the bar with some friends of his, tells a story, and somebody stabs Richie in his messed up hand. Yeah. They start shooting, and that's when things get a little bit cray. Mm-hmm. We find out this this bar is inhabited by vampires. Yep. They start attacking people. Richie gets hurt. Um, George Clooney almost dies. Selma Hayek jumps on him at one point. And, and, she kill- and he kills her. Yeah, she threatens to make him a sl- slave, and he's like, sorry, I already have a wife. <laughs> Made bad me laugh. Joke, bad joke. I like dad jokes like that. It's not a dad joke. I think I, it's a bad joke. Oh, I know you said bad joke, but I think of that as a dad joke. Uh Anyways, the fight ensues. A lot of people die. They meet up with these two people. One of them is called Sex Machine. 
And they help them basically <laughs> fight the vampires until Sex Machine turns. That's, that's an odd name, but yes. Okay. yes. They kill a lot of them, but there are bats outside. And we know bats turn into vampires. Yes, they do. They eventually break inside the bar. Kate, Scott, and Seth make it to this back room. Harvey Keitel is hiding under the bar. Eventually, he takes two guns and he fashions them to be like a cross. And they have, and, and they take all the uh, ammunition that was left over, looks like, right? Yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay. He gets to where the kids and Seth are, enters the room, and we find out that Jacob was bitten by a vampire. Yep. We should say that earlier in the movie, there was a discussion about faith. And, you know, Jacob had lost his faith in God in a way. But Seth kind of reminds him, hey, listen, we need you here to be a, a mean mm-hmm, servant of God. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I like when Garvey Keitel says that. I'm a mean mm-hmm, servant of God. You did think that was funny. That was, uh, yeah, that was one of the funny things I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. So we're, now we're in the room. Jacob's been bitten. He tells everybody this, but he says, I have about maybe 45 minutes to an hour before I become a lap dog a saint. Yeah. And in that time, okay. we're going to help just, I'm going to help you guys kill the vampires. Mm-hmm. But, but, but he, but he makes his family promise. He makes his family promise that when he turns into a vampire to kill him. Yeah. So what happens is because this is a trucker bar and they've been killing people for years, they have a lot of supplies in this room. So they yep. get guns. Yep. Um, Scott has a squirt gun, but because Jacob <laughs> is a minister, he blesses it and makes it into holy water. And right before Seth opens the door, he makes him promise and he holds a gun to his head. He gives Kate till the count of five. He gives Scott till the count of three. And I'm trying very hard not to quote lines from this movie because I know you don't like it when I do it's it. It's kind of distracting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I know this because I've been known, when I was younger, I used to quote stuff for movies that I liked. And I'm like, that's really, actually, and, I, and I, when I got older, I'm thinking, that's really distracting. <laughs> I should really stop that. And I, I haven't done it for a long time. Yeah. But I, just, I this movie, I, I, I could quote it all day. I, I only... I will try to do this. When he's counting down to Scott, he's like two and a half. Scott's like, it's not, uh, you don't believe in suicide. And Harvey Keitel responds with, it's not suicide if you're already dead. And then he promises that he killed his dad. So they go out, fight the vampires. Eventually Jacob turns and bites Scott. Scott kills him, but all these other vampires come upon him, start tearing him apart. He begs Kate to shoot him. She does. By now, the sun is starting to come out. And they realize to shoot holes into the wall. So the sun will come in and it'll kill them. At this moment, we hear, hello, I'm looking for my princess. <laughs> in the crowd. Outside the door. I, I mean, outside the door, I'm sorry. Carlos, his friend, is also played by Cheech Marin. They run to the door, open it. The vampires explode along with the bar. And we get this beautiful exchange from Carlos along with Seth, Seth, where they're talking about the bar and they start negotiating on how much it'll cost for his stay in El Rey. I think the place... 25%. I think they... 25% instead of 30. Right. Something like that. So they they both agree on 25%. I think they shake on it. Yes. He gets the car. 
gives some money for to Kate. She asks if she could go with him. He tells her no. He drives away. And we just see Kate looking around and headed back to the RV. And that's where the movie ends. Um, I love this movie. It holds a special place in my heart. But we do not agree on this film at all. No, this is one of those films where we absolutely don't agree on it. Just so many things I didn't like about it. Wow. Go ahead, because I've I've said my piece. Now you should say yes. I gave this, and, and I know you were surprised yesterday when I gave the score, and you were even you were even more surprised that you didn't give it a lower I uh, didn't give it a lower score. It's to me it's borderline um, ten. It's either nine and a half uh, or ten. I gave it a six and a half. Yeah, and I'll explain why I gave it a six and a half. Um, I felt that it wasn't just violent. Uh, and I didn't, and I wasn't able to see the violence. Thank goodness, I wasn't able to see the violence. I think it's probably really gory. Violence is very over the top. Really gory, and yeah, all that. Um, I could not relate to any of the characters. Um, I will admit that the actors who played the characters were really good, including George Clooney, who I thought was a real jerk in this movie. Um, I also thought that there was a uh, a lot of blasphemous things going on. I thought that the, um, there was a, a mockery of Christianity in there, and that was really one of the reasons why I did not like it. Um, uh, a mockery mostly from Seth, I think, and partly from Jacob, I think. I, didn't, I don't know. And then, and then there's also, like, these, um, you know, I think that a lot of, like, a lot of religious movies, maybe not, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but some religious movies will take things like, um, uh, I, I would imagine that they were like myths and legends about, you know, crosses, uh, warding off vampires yeah. if they were real and, um, blessing any kind of water that would make it holy water. That's another myth. Um, uh, I, I didn't really like the, um, the, uh, the Catholic tones of it. I, I, I just, I mean, I just did not. I just saw. I just saw some problems with this movie. I, I didn't like it at all. Um, I was just hoping that Seth was going to be killed off. I don't know. I just. Huh. I. I really. I was. I was just like, why can't they just kill this guy off? I don't like him. <laughs> but that attests to the fact that George Clooney was very good as a villain, and I can't really get mad at that too much because he's really he really was good in this movie um despite the fact that i did not like his character um yeah so so uh not a good grade for me but that's that's my opinion and uh, you know unfortunately these this is one of the movies where it was a miss for me i was assuming you were either going to give this movie a one or it was going to be like me where it was a borderline 10. I did not no. expect a six and a half. Well, the reason why I didn't give it a, an even lower score than this, because you said that the way that it looked, right? Yes. Because you said the artistic factor was that it actually looked really, really good. Yeah. How they made it look. I to mean, me. It really looked. As a blind guy. Yeah, it really looked good. And I couldn't, I couldn't give it a bad score because of it. I couldn't give a, I couldn't give that a bad score because of the, um, artistic part of it i think you said some stuff i agree with and also a few things i disagree with okay 
You are right. Seth makes a complete mockery out of religion in this movie. Mm -hmm. I would make the argument that that's why I felt like him and Harvey Keitel are so good together in this film. Because they're yin and yang. He makes a mockery out of God and religion, but Jacob doesn't. He centers it to me. I've told you this before. Back in because I know a lot of people who are divisive on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, I have shown this movie to Christians, and I've always thought of it like Jacob is maybe an example of why Christianity works, and not making a mockery out of it. So I'm going to give you my argument, and I want you to push back if you feel necessary. Mm-hmm. Jacob is questioning his faith. He never doesn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. What he questions is how much he loves Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think he needs a non-believer like Jacob. Also, in the situation of where he's fighting for the lives of his family to show him how much he needs God in his life. And while he only accepts God as somebody who he loves and sees as his Lord and Savior in the last couple of hours of his existence, it helps him fight against evil in those final hours. Mm. And I think that Jacob, because he's a man of God, he's always trying to do the right thing throughout the film, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you can make the argument, and I know you have and other people have as well, that he helps Seth a a little bit too much. Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going to go with this. But my counter-argument to that would be he sees Seth, and this might be subconscious, but as somebody who has potential and who could maybe be saved if he has a mentor in his life. Right. And Harvey Keitel knows that he's going to lose an opportunity if he just like lets Seth go. Right. And become a criminal. Right. So he's he's helping him because he thinks he's right. he thinks he can save him at mm-hmm. the end. Now, he's not successful in that. No. But I believe that that's what his character is thinking. Okay. Uh, okay, so I will I will give you credit. I give credit where credit is due. Yeah, I understand why you might you may think that. Okay, I do understand where you're coming from as um as a non-believer. I get it. You know, I understand where you're coming from, but I have to push back because the uh, being a very devout believer, I I see this as not only was Jacob helping Seth. Right, mm-hmm. but he was also partaking in what he was doing. I mean, he may not have been drinking, but he put himself in that situation where he was in a bar. There's all these things going on. There's evil going on around him. Um, I understand that he was very confused. Um, I just, I don't know. I just thought, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought that in some ways he was also mocking religion. Oh, that's interesting. I'm... I do, I do. I mean, did did do you did you ever get the sense from your your Christian uh, friends who who saw them who saw it with you or or saw it bef- uh, without you that um, they thought the same way I did? I'm assuming they did. It's been so many years. What I will say is they've said that the movie in general is like an indictment on religion, which I don't believe at all. But that is your opinion. Yeah. What I will say is if you just knew Jacob from the scene in the diner, I could see how you would get that. That you could think that he's this uh, mocking religion. Absolutely. But. I just just thought that was a very, uh, very mocking and uh, blasphemous scene. And I'm just like, ah. 
But I'm talking about the scene early on in the diner. That's what I mean. Yeah. Exactly what I mean. But you get to know him throughout the course of this film. And you get to see that he's a decent man who went through a tragedy and who now has some questions about what to believe. Now, I will say this, that um, I'm not saying that he did not redeem himself. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, I, I just, I think overall, I just, I just don't know. I mean, it, 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 he, Seth, of course, um, Seth, of course, did, um, show more of a mockery towards, um, towards Jacob's faith. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I also think that Jacob, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not saying that he, he didn't, uh, die a changed man, but I still did not relate to his character. I didn't. I will tell you this. This film to me would not work without Jacob. At all. It may not have. Yeah. It works so well because they play off each other. Great. In this movie. I love George Clooney's chemistry with Harvey Keitel. I will say that you really had to feel for Kate at the end. Because, yes. um, I didn't, even if I didn't relate to Kate, I mean, she had to kill her brother. Her dad, her, her brother had to kill her dad because they were both uh, vampires. Mm -hmm. Um, Seth had to kill Richie. Am I right? Am I right? Yes, you are correct. Seth had to, to kill Richie. Now she's left alone with Seth. She doesn't know what to do now because the RV that she was in with her family is now empty. Mm -hmm. And I would, and, I, and, I, and at first I thought that she was attracted to Seth, but I, I was glad that they didn't go that route. I am too. It would have cheapened the movie. I think it would have. And, I, and I'm glad that they didn't go that route. Um, because I, I, I thought that maybe she was attracted to Seth, but then you made a point about, well, she's lonely and she, you know, now it's the two of them, right? Yeah. Now it's just the two of them and Carlos. And Carlos, as we know, has a horrible history of picking bars. Exactly. So we don't necessarily want to trust him on much. No, but but it but but the point being is that it's just the two of them now. Yes. And they suffered tragedy together, and now they have to pick up the pieces from the tragedies that they both re recently uh, witnessed and committed because they had to. Otherwise, they would have been dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very glad that Seth left Kate. As am I. I. I am glad that he left Kate and he just said, go home. You know, start a new life. You don't need... It, it sounded to me like he was basically saying, you don't need to be around me. I'm not good. Uh, I, I have my own life. Just go home and, and take care of yourself. What do you think of Quentin Tarantino in this movie? Because I will tell you, uh -huh. I am... A fan of his as a director and writer. Yes. I think overall he does fantasy movies for cynical people. Uh-huh. Right? And that's my opinion. And after watching this movie, maybe you could understand why. Cynical in general? Yes. I think he does fantasy movies for cynical adults. Okay. That's my, my take on it. But I've never really liked him as an actor. I've always thought that he's taken me out of the film Especially his performance in Pulp Fiction. Okay. He's not good in that at all. Really? This movie is the exception to the rule. I thought he was very good. I thought he was very good in this movie. I thought he was very good. I wasn't sure what to think of him in the beginning because I thought, oh, this guy is not very smart. Mm -hmm. 
but he's also very um, crazy, which I didn't realize that until you explained to me what was in his head. Yeah. He, he's, he's nuts. He's nuts. Um, and, and something could just completely set him off. Uh, but he, I mean, despite that I, the fact that I did not like his character, I thought he was very good. Nice. Yeah. What was that one movie that we watched where he's on the answering machine? He's like, you have no more messages. Jackie Brown. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay. My favorite. This is my second favorite Quentin Tarantino movie from Dust to Dawn. And Jackie Brown is my first. And he directed that one. Yes. And I think one of the reasons I like Jackie Brown is in a lot of ways it's his least Tarantino movie. Because it's the only film that he's directed that he didn't write himself. He he wrote the adaptation, but it's based on an Elmore Leonard book. And he doesn't really act in the movie, besides for the answering machine oh. scene. Yeah, because I didn't even recognize his voice. Yeah. Because all I could hear was, you have no more messages. It's very easy to miss him in that movie. Yeah, it is. Which I think works to the film's how, benefit. How... So, but you've heard his voice more than once, so you were able to pick it out. Absolutely. No, I grew up watching his interviews and okay. seeing his films. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think in some ways that plays into how much I like Pulp Fiction is because I've seen him do so much bad acting <laughs> that yeah. it was a total, complete shock to see him actually be good in a movie. Uh-huh. And he's really good in this movie. Okay. In my opinion. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. I would agree with you on that. He definitely plays a crazy lunatic uh, very well. <laughs> well. Now maybe we should move into some character analysis. Okay. What does Seth teach us about the importance of family? Well, when push comes to shove, your family is all you have in this world. Hmm. When everybody... When, when all your friends around you leave, the only ones who can you can count on is your family unless your family disowns you or something or, or is no longer speaking to you. I guess maybe a question related to that is, what does Seth teach us about forgiveness? Mm. And I'm thinking specifically of the scene early on in the movie where he comes back with the food and sees what Richie did to Gloria. Well, so... I think of that scene, but I also think of the scene where he thought his brother was dead mm-hmm. and he had to kill his brother. Because remember when he's like, you know, I know that I didn't treat you very well in life. Yeah. But I love you anyway. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I think he was asking uh, Seth to forgive him for what he did because he wasn't, he wasn't the best brother. I mean, we both know that. He, he, he lived a life of crime and Richie was there for the ride, but he was also committing the, the same crime. And it's it's interesting. It's like it's like does death have to bring someone to the point of asking someone to forgive them? I don't know. I mean, I question. I, I it's interesting to think about that. I don't know if I answered your question. It's, I hear it's hard you. to it's hard to answer that. I'm going to ask you a question that maybe. A little bit more difficult for you to answer. Okay. What does Jacob see in Seth? I I will agree with you on something. Go ahead. I think he does see a lost wayward person that needs um, 
that needs some stability and structure in his life, that needs to be shown a better path. And maybe you're right that Seth, Seth is that kind of person to Jacob. As much as I didn't like his character. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay. Yeah. What type of man is Jacob before meeting Seth? Um, I have a, I have some thoughts on this too. Okay, I want you to go first. Um, I think he was very. He may have been very um, lost and confused uh, about his own faith, and I also think he was obviously still grieving the loss of his wife doesn't know where to doesn't know what to do as far as where to you know how to start over with his kids because it's only him and his kids now mm -hmm. and he just left the church that he was pastoring and they're trying to find you know he's he's he just feel he feels like he has failed um as you know failed as far as um, being a pastor to the church that he was pastoring and he needed so he wanted he he was hoping that they would find someone that would be a better leader than he could because right now he's emotionally broken I think we mostly agree there's a word when I think of Jacob that not a lot of people bring out up and that word is reliable mm. I see him as somebody even though he's broken He's the rock. If he says he's going to do something for somebody, he does it. I, I, I would agree with you. I that. get that feeling that he's one of these guys who, if he tells you he's going to help you at 3 o'clock in the morning, move. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to abandon you at the last minute unless something comes up right. out that's out of his control. I, I would agree with you on that, yes. Mm -hmm. He's like, he will try his best to help you if he can help you. Yeah. And he won't just, he won't just abandon you just when it's convenient, mm -hmm. he'll help you and he'll help you, um, till the end. If he, if he can. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think he's very reliable. He says something to Kate in the diner about most of the parts of this movie. I could quote this part. I'm a little bit more sketchy on. He explains to her that, uh, every man of faith, I don't care if you're a preacher, a minister, a rabbi or a Buddhist monk, Many times in your life, you will look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I a fool for believing this? And I wondered, what did you think about that? So I'm not going to say that no Christians have felt this way. I have not, but that doesn't mean that nobody has looked in the mirror and questioned their own faith, their mm -hmm. own salvation. And so I'm not going to take that away from another Christian. Um... Because Christians go through that, they go through, um, they go through times of confusion. Like, where's my life going? What am I doing here? Uh, why, why can't I find my purpose? Am I really, am I really a child of God, or am I just a lost person wandering aimlessly in this world? So, for me to say that no Christians have thought that way would be wrong. I have not yet. I hope that never happens. But I, I, I understand that Christians do go through, um, uh, what's the word? They go through, um, they go through a time of questioning. 
they go through a time of trying to understand what what's what's going on with their own their own things. I can't find the word to describe it right now. <laughs> Let me see if I can put my own spin on this. Okay. We're seeing this through the eyes of a Christian man. Mm-hmm. I would make the argument, though, that everybody, regardless if they're a church or religious leader, should go through something like that several times in their life, where they ask themselves, am I a fool for believing what I believe in? Whether they're an atheist, whether they're Buddhist, I think it's good for people to question that, to have that come up. Oh, absolutely. Life. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. And and I think, I think a lot of people have looked themselves in the mirror and... Um, ask themselves the same question and there's nothing wrong with it but you haven't not yet okay i have not yet i do um, it very often i i have not yet i hope that i hope i never get to that point um i would imagine though if something really 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 traumatic and not just one thing but several things mm -hmm. i would imagine that maybe it would bring me to the point of questioning my own my own faith because, and I've talked to somebody about that um, when I was in college, because something was going on with this woman, and I, I'm not going to mention her name, Go but ahead. She, I went to school with her. Something was going on with this woman and her husband at the time, and they were, they as, as, as Christian parents were questioning their own faith too, and having their own... Uh, having their own thoughts about it and, and trying to figure out what to do because their marriage was failing, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, so it happens. It really does. It happens. I think it's a good thing that stuff like that happens because it makes you stronger. Right. Or it could be the opposite where you, um, instead of questioning it, it makes, it toughens you up when things hit you from both sides and you don't know where to go, your faith is even more strengthened. And you don't have, I think the word is doubt. Yes, you don't have doubts, but it strengthens you. So it could go either way. Yes. It could go either way. Does that answer your question? Yes, I think it does. Good. Of course, I'll re-listen to this in a week or two, and I'll be like, oh, I should have asked this. But for the time being, I think we got to go with where we are at. That's right. I want to know, you may not have the answers to this. In fact, something tells me you don't. But what was the what was childhood like for Richie and Seth Gecko? Well, I don't know. It may have been a it may have been a bad one. It may have been a normal one. It may have been that their parents tried to raise them as best as they could, but they just they decided to do their own thing when they got older, and they. Maybe they fell into the wrong crowd and they didn't know how to make a living for themselves um, with with uh, the jobs that you would normally get if you were um, not living a life of crime. But I don't know. I can't answer that question. They have made two prequels to this movie and a television show. Two prequels? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, none of which had the involvement of Quentin Tarantino or Robert Rodriguez, I believe. Mm -hmm. So I never bothered paying attention to that stuff. So it's possible it's covered there. But I assume 
that they have a very rough childhood and that Seth being the older brother was hard on Richie, but meant to do the right thing. He just didn't know how. He definitely didn't know how. Mm-hmm. He was very misguided or or maybe he, um, I don't know, somebody must have misguided him. I'm curious, babes. Mm-hmm. How do you think this experience changes <clears throat> Seth? Um, I would like to think that because he has a second chance at freedom, albeit, you know, Carlos is a, um, Carlos doesn't have a really good history of bars, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, you don't want to go drinking with Carlos. No, no, you don't want to do that. You don't know where you're going to end up. Yeah. One place is just as good as another. Exactly. What were they, psychos or something? <laughs> psychos don't explode when sunlight hits them. <laughs> I had to laugh at that. Thank you. Um, yeah, you don't want to end up in a bar with Carlos. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but he has a second chance at freedom. Um, even if he is running away from the police. Yes. Maybe. Maybe he'll think about, you know, he doesn't really have anybody now because his only brother is, is gone. We don't know where his parents are. Now he's alone. So I would like to think that maybe he would think about where his life is going because since he met Jacob and his family, maybe that may have uh, may have uh, planted some seeds and he's thinking about what I would like to think that maybe he's thinking about what his life is going to be in the future. I have a fantasy okay. that is realistically probably not going to happen. Okay. In this fantasy, Robert Rodriguez directs a follow-up to From Dust to Dawn, George Clooney agrees to star, and Quentin Tarantino writes a screenplay. And in this fantasy, Seth Gecko mm-hmm. gets into a little bit more trouble and eventually turns his life around... And when we see him 30 years later, he is now a minister. I doubt that would happen. Really? No. Okay. I think it... Well, That's why it's a fantasy. He may not be a minister, but he might do something else. Mm. I would like to think that he would try to do something like uh, helping people get out of... Uh, trying to show people that... Uh, robbing, robbing people and taking advantage of people isn't wrong. Isn't right. Um, I don't know that he would. He would be a minister. I think it would be an interesting take, though. That would be interesting. Yeah. But I mean, it unlikely that things happen. have happened. Yeah. I mean, thing things have happened in in uh in real life that you wouldn't think this person would be doing. That's you know? true. So I mean, it could happen. I just don't know that it would. Ha- it could happen to Seth. He I, might do something else. Yeah, I want you to, if you can, talk about Seth's morality. We know that he doesn't believe in God, and that he kind of mocks—not kind of—he does mock religious people in this movie. He he certainly does. But is there a morality to him? I think there is. The only thing that I can see that was moral. Actually, two things. Yes. Was that he asks, he he basically, he tells Richie that he loves him. 
And I think he's trying to show remorse for how he treated him. And then also telling Kate to go back home. That's the only two things I can think of that he actually did that was good. He also flips out on Richie when he discovers what he did to Gloria. That is true. Because he, he, he basically said that, you know, I, I, I am, I wasn't not about to do this. I, I've, I didn't want to, I didn't want us to, do, I didn't want you to do this. Why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Questioning Richie's sanity. Like, wow, how could you do this? I wasn't planning to do this. You know, so, so yeah, that was, that was in some ways a good thing. Even though Seth wasn't exactly innocent. Do you, so do you think that there is help for Seth? It sounds like you do. I do think there's help for Seth. Even uh, Hope for him. I mean, hope and, yeah, I do think there is hope for Seth. And I do think he could get help. Yes. I don't think he's, he's, he is beyond help. I have a follow-up question about the scene with Richie and Seth after what happened to Gloria. Okay. If you remember, Richie says to Seth, after you left, she became a completely different person and started freaking out. And she and he never explained what that was. Right. And listen, it, from what I saw, it didn't look like that happens. I, I, I don't believe that she became a different person. I don't believe she became a different person. But what I want to know from you is, is Richie lying to Seth? Or does, does Seth believe that she became a different person? Because we know that things happen in his head a little bit differently mm-hmm. based on what happens later with Juliet Lewis and him in the hotel. I, I really don't. I think Seth was, I mean, I'm sorry. I think Richie was lying. Hmm. I think Richie was lying because he doesn't even know what's going on in his own head, right? Right. And, I, and, and, and maybe he doesn't, maybe it's not so much that he's lying but that he actually thinks that whatever is going on in his head is true because he's that delusional. See, that's what I think happened. I think right? that to the best of his abilities, he's telling the truth. Yeah. She didn't really freak out, but he, he's so nutty that he believes that she did. Yeah, and I don't believe that Seth believed Richie when he said that. No, he clearly did he not. He clearly didn't because he called him a nut. Yep. You know, and he fights him. He pushes him to the wall. Yeah, and Richie, Richie was upset because he called him a nut. But, but how? You know, that's true. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's been proven that it is really true. So, so I guess my my answer would be, he thought he was. He thought that's what really happened with Gloria. I don't think he was lying. I just think he was delusional. Mm. So I guess I I should backtrack on that. That's fair. Yeah. Where is Kate now? Oh boy. Um I would hope that she's getting her life straightened out. Maybe she's going to school or maybe she's um trying to find a job and trying to pick up the pieces. Mm. And maybe she does question her faith, or maybe she she is still faithful. I don't know. It's hard to say. I would hope that she gets her life straightened out after all this. I know that you didn't really like this movie. But no. A question I would have for you, are you glad that you've at least seen it? I don't know what you mean by that. Well, because oftentimes you'll hear me talk about movies and quote them 
and you won't have any reference for it, right? Uh-huh. But now we don't have to have the discussion of should we watch from dusk till dawn because you've already seen it, whether or not you like I, it or not. I guess. I mean, I suppose because I know you asked me that question yesterday, and I yes. said I suppose I'm glad I saw it. I mean, I know what I know now. What <laughs> what you know how to think about it? I guess. Um, it did surprise me a little bit that you said that you liked August Rush better from. From Dust Till Dawn. I think from an artistic, artistic, um, from an artistic point of view, mm-hmm. yes, I did. I thought the music was great. Um, I didn't really think much about the storyline because yeah. the person I was watching with, watching it with really liked the movie, so I wasn't even thinking about that. August Rushing. Yes. 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 I did. Would you recommend From Dust Till Dawn to anybody? In I don't life? know that I would. Besides for me, obviously. I don't know. And you, you don't have to recommend it. To I don't me think I, I would. I, I think some. I think you know. I I would. I if any of my Christian friends wanted to see something like that, I would say, like I've said with other movies, see it at your own discretion. That's what I said with the the people versus Larry Flint. Yes. See it at your own discretion. Don't tell don't tell me that I didn't warn you. <laughs> Cuz you may not like it as much as I didn't like it, but see it at your own discretion. But you enjoyed the people versus Larry Flint a lot more. Um than you. yeah, I mean, I I I would rec- I would say see it at your own discretion. I wouldn't give it a 10, mm-hmm. but I also wouldn't give it a 5. Mm. I would give it at least an 8. You said eight and a half last night. Did I? Yes. With the people versus Larry Flint. Yes, I would actually. Eight and a half. Nice. Yes. I would. Because there was some, I mean, despite, you know, the spectacle that Larry Flint um, made in the courtroom, you kind of, you kind of root for him yes. after a while. Because as much as I didn't like the character, you have to think about well if you don't like censorship if you like if you are for free speech then you have to re- you have to root for this guy yeah and you like the fact that he's pushing boundaries i like it when people push buttons even if it's the buttons i don't like to be pushed on you know i mean wearing an american flag as a diaper in a courtroom is nothing i would do and it's, I'm glad you wouldn't do that. No, it's that also really disrespectful. Very though. disrespectful, but I like that there's somebody out there who's willing to do that and push the boundaries, so I don't have to push as hard. Right. You know. Yeah. I hate that he does it, but I like that he does it too. I admire okay. that he does it. It's probably yeah. That, that's that's yeah. I, I think I understand that. Yes. I admire him, even though I don't like him. Right, and and I could, I could say that for this movie. Um, I will say that I thought, I thought it was, um, I mean, they took, it sounded like they take, they took risk with this movie. Yes. And I admire the risk taking Mm. as much as I didn't like the movie. I admire the risk taking because it was a risky, it was a risky move. So from dusk till dawn. Yeah. Are you surprised that I like it as much as I do? No. Really? Okay, good. I am not surprised. It makes sense to you. Yes, I yes, it does make sense to, you, nice. to me. Nice. Yeah. Um let's talk about natural born killers for a minute. Okay. We have not seen that yet. Right. 
Do you want to watch that tonight? What are your thoughts? Now that you've seen From Dust to Dawn. I'm not sure because okay. you said it was very violent. I don't know. So we'll leave that as a to be continued and tomorrow we'll report back yeah. on whether we watch that or Basketball Diaries. I kind of wonder, here's my thoughts on it right now. Go ahead. I kind of wonder if we should see it another time because of how violent this movie was. I don't know. I'm cool with that. I do want to watch it with you eventually because I want to do an episode called Natural Born J-Lo's. Oh my goodness. Just so you can have an excuse to put J-Lo in, in the uh, podcast. Yes, um. yes. <laughs> so we'll podcast re name. Yes, we'll revisit that subject tonight. But it, at some point, we will get to Natural Born Killers. Um, and I think that we need to get to it for a couple reasons. So there's the obvious, they have the connection between Juliet Lewis, right? Mm -hmm. She's in both movies. Quentin Tarantino wrote the script to both films, and he has very different opinions on the on Natural Born Killers and From Dust to Dawn. Really? He has said many times that he is not happy with the film version of Natural Born Killers, and he thinks it's a bastardization of his writing. Really? Yes. Because he wrote that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And uh, he wasn't happy with it. He hated the movie. Wow. He hated the movie. Okay. Also, it has Woody Harrelson, who see People versus Larry Flint or my multiple references to Cheers to see yes, how yes. important he is in my existence. But also, it's an important film in the history of cinema. Okay. Um, but it's also over-the-top violence. And <laughs> I think you'll like Seth more than you like mickey knox oh really but you, you, that doesn't that doesn't that really well we'll have to see Ugh. we'll have to, but I, I like them both i like seth better though. i'm just uh, so so do you kind of understand why i'm taking that that kind of thinking about it well i mean we just saw a really violent movie last night yes. i don't know that we should have another one tonight as yes. much as you know yes. i know that yeah i i I'm, i will i mean i don't know i'll, I'll think about it but i'm not sure about and yeah. my substitute film, The Basketball Diaries, I think is a classic yeah. that not enough people discuss. So I, I don't believe I... It's been... A, I, I may have seen it. I just don't remember. I just... I know I heard about it, yes. Great, great movie. Mm -hmm. But we will get to that when we get to it. Mm -hmm. We watched another movie last night. Yes. Oh, first of all, one last thing about From Dust to Dawn. Uh, is it the most violent Disney movie you've ever watched? Well, I know that Disney owned it, but I don't even consider it a Disney movie. Uh oh, I don't. I mean, I know that that Disney owned. Uh, was it what? 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 So it's a little bit complicated, but I, I wouldn't consider it a Disney Disney movie. Yeah, Dimension Films released from Dust Till Dawn, and Dimension Films was a offshoot of Miramax, which at the time was owned by Disney. I'm sorry, I still wouldn't consider it a Disney movie. Okay. No. I wish they would have aired this on the Disney Channel oh. commercial freeway. <laughs> what would you have thought of no. that? No. That's just sick. <laughs> See, folks? See? Very sick sense of humor. Oh, my goodness. Now that we've uh, discussed from Dust to Dawn, is there anything else you want to say before we move on about it? Uh, No. Okay. I feel we've covered it well. I think we did. I think we um, exhausted all of our uh, <laughs> analyses on this. I think it's a classic. You disagree. But no. that's fine because it is divisive. 
It is okay. All right. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you. Um, I'm glad that you are um, willing to acknowledge the divisiveness of this movie. Look, <laughs> I acknowledge it because you're not the only one I know who hates it. It is good, though. and I'm not the only one that I know who loves it. Mm -hmm. uh, now, listen. All things being equal, I would have loved it if after the movie you would have said. I think this is a brilliant movie. And I, I not only do I get why you love it, but I love it too. But you can't get everything you want in life. You can't always you get, get what, what you want. want. J-Lo. Yes. We watched another movie called The Other Sister. Yes. And maybe yes. you should talk about it a little bit. So I wanted to show you this film because I thought Juliette Lewis was really good in this movie. And also um, her co-star Giovanni Ribisi. Um, and Diane Keaton plays her mother, and she's very good in this one, too. So Carla Tate is uh, Juliette Lewis's uh, character. She It is implied that she has uh, some learning disabilities. We don't actually know what disability it is. But um, uh, she comes back from a school in Santa Barbara, California. So she lives in San Francisco with her family. And uh, in the midst of that, so she comes home, and um, I think after she comes home, she has that flashback, right? Yeah, she has a few. She has a flashback of uh, her uh, uh, throwing some tantrums at the uh, dinner table. And, you know, she's not eating with a fork. She's She's clearly not... Um, able to understand it and her mother is arguing for her to go to this um, this uh, school in Santa Barbara am I right yes yes right and their parents are also super rich and they're super super rich right so they can afford it yeah and the father is you know she he, the father is like no I think she should be I think she should be in public school the mother's like no I think she should be around people that are just like her because we don't know how they're going to treat her. Um, and so it goes on where uh, she is, uh, she's graduated from the school. She's back with her, her um, sisters and her parents. Her, one of her sisters is getting ready to be married and she's engaged to uh, Jeff, her sister Caroline is. Um, it seems to me like her sisters are very supportive of Carla. Her father is also very much in Carla's corner, but her mother, and you see this when she goes to her room and her mother decides to decorate it. Not the way that Carla wants, but the way that she wants to decorate it because she's in she's a a, a a an adult now. She is a young adult. And Carla's like, "Well, what about my my table where where I had my tea parties. Why is it not there? You know, because she she hasn't lived there for a long time. She's been in a a school, a boarding school. It sounds like. Uh, chime in, please, if you would. Well, I really like the movie. I would disagree about one part of it. What? To me, while you see it there, I was kind of more in the mom's side until slightly later in the movie. Where Carla has a birthday party and then it really comes right, out. Right, right, right. We'll, we can get there when we get there because okay. I'm passing ahead. And, and I know that it's the first time you saw it. But when I saw it the first time, I wasn't sure what to think of it either. Yeah, and spoiler alert, I 
this isn't from Dust Till Dawn category for me, but I did think it was a very good movie. Um, there's a bit of a montage where you see the mom try to bond with Carla, but it's all over things that Diane Keaton, who plays the mom in this movie, enjoys doing. For example, buying the kind of clothes that she likes, taking her to these fundraisers. Um, having her play tennis. Having her play tennis. There's an interesting scene at this uh, Humane Society fundraiser with yes, the dogs. Yes, And Carla kind of releases them. Yeah, she starts talking to the puppies while they're, you know, and she doesn't understand this. Mm-hmm. She's talking to the puppies. She's like, hi, puppies. And they're in cages. And then she goes, she starts barking. And and then gets all the puppies all riled up. And then she uh, releases them from the cages and everything just chaos ensues if i have the time right line right which i may not later that night diane keaton gets in a argument with the dad over what's homegirl's name carla carla homegirl carla and (laughs) carla ends up hitchhiking back to her training school yes in Santa Barbara. Yes, and and the and the doctor was saying, "Well, why do you think she she hitchhiked all the way back here?" Next time we may not be so lucky. Right. She needs independence. The family agrees to let her go to a trade school. Alana, it's, take over. It's a polytech school, and uh, this is where. Keep going. This is where. We are introduced to another uh, person with a disability. His name is uh, Daniel McMahon, played by Giovanni Ribisi. And she um, helps him through registration because she's trying to register. And uh, they said, well, you can't register if you don't if you don't pay. Yeah. She is able to pay because her parents are able to give her the money. and She pays him. It's like, okay, you can register. You're all registered. And so... Um, they're making fun of this kid, Daniel. I'm sorry. That's your stick. Go ahead. That's not my stick. It's just knocking over the by accident. Device. By accident. Go ahead. Keep anyway, going. so they're making fun of him because he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Like he looks. Like he's listening to music when he's on the he's line. He's listening to music, so she directs him to the right place to go. And uh, they introduce each other. He's like, "Hi, I'm Daniel McMahon. Hi, I'm Carla Tate." And, um, so, uh, that's how, that's how they meet each other. And, uh, you know, she's, she's going through her classes. Um, what do you think about that scene? I know I'm kind of skipping ahead. There's a lot of things in the movie. Yeah. What do you think about this scene where this girl is like, obviously flirting with the instructor, right? And she's like, yeah, learning about RAM and ROM and bit and bite and he's like so so carla what do you think and she's like well um i know the difference i know the difference between a bit and a bite i like the scene <laughs> you could make the argument that it's not important to the all overall story of the movie yes but i think it gives us a little bit of insight to what it's like for carla going to a school with people and then she makes a comment to her she's like he's kind of cute isn't he mm-hmm. and he, she's like yeah okay whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um, you do um, see Daniel a lot more because while she's at the school, she said um, she she meets up with Daniel and he's like, 
she's like, well, I have to, I have to wait for my father because he's going to pick me up and take me home. And she's, he's like, well, do you want to hang out for a little bit? You know, get something to eat or something, you know, first before you go home. And she's like, okay. And he's, and she's like, and he's like, and by the way, I can drive. Here's something I really like about that sequence. Mm -hmm. The typical Hollywood thing would be she hangs out with Daniel and she misses her dad. Everybody in the family freaks out at her and they pull the, uh, they pull the leash back in a sense. Right. Exactly. Limited. That didn't happen in this movie. No. She just, she, she hung out with him and then went home. I was totally expecting for like the parents to freak out. I wasn't sure about that too. Yeah. But she made it in time, and she also found out where he uh, worked, and uh, as as a as a um, a baker in the local bakery. And she he also volunteered for this marching band. Yes, but that was later on in the movie. Okay, for some reason I'm conflating the two and thinking right, right, yeah. because he really loves marching band music, yeah, yeah. which is kind of funny. It was one of his quirks. <laughs> and so. Time goes by. They hang out a lot. The family's finding out about Daniel. The dad kind of teases her about Daniel. He's like, no, he's just my friend, but he's not my, he's not a boyfriend. He's just my friend. Right. Mm -hmm. They're hanging out together. Uh, They go to his apartment because they, they go to his apartment and they're hanging out and they're watching the graduate. I guess it's her favorite movie. It's a good movie. It's a really good movie. Yeah. And um, sh- he asks her uh, to be his girlfriend, and she says yes. Then we see the man from Chicago, Hope. Ernie. Ernie. Yes. Explain about Ernie, please. Ernie, we don't know a lot about him, but here's kind of a mixture of the information we have and what I believe to be the case. He is a Vietnam vet who the father hires as a go-between between Daniel and dad. The dad is super rich. He sells. Oh, I didn't even realize that. What do you mean? I didn't realize that that may have been, you know, that that was someone that his dad hired. I said this is a mixture of what right. we know and my assumptions, okay. right? Okay. Uh, the dad is like a successful Mercedes dealer. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So he's super rich. Yes. And I, and I think that that's Ernie's role. Like the dad found this guy to help. Yep. So I'm assuming that Ernie does this not just with Daniel, but with other rich parents of people with disabilities. Uh-huh. That's his main gig, mm-hmm. being the go-between. Mm-hmm. Because he's a gentle soul. Yes. Uh, we know that he's had some problems in the past, which is maybe why he can relate so well to Daniel. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like a friend slash helper. Yeah. Who yeah. maybe drops in once or twice a week to make sure that everything's cool with the apartment. And yes. And he seems Daniel's like a, freaking out. he really does seem like a nice guy. Yes. Like a, like a genuinely nice guy. Like he isn't just doing this because his father hired him. Mm-hmm. He just really actually is um, connecting with Daniel. Keep going, babes. So, um, you know, um, Carla is mystified because she's like, oh, you have your own apartment. That's awesome. I want to have my, and she, um, she brings it up to her family at a dinner. At a birthday party. At, a, at her birthday party. Yes. And this is where um, you see Mrs. Elizabeth Tate, uh, her her mother, just freak out and says, no, we're not going to have this conversation. And so she wants to kind of sweep it under the rug. Never to talk about it again. Right? Mm-hmm. 
and <laughs> and so you kind of see her 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 mothering coming out like I don't want her to have an apartment you know what if she what if she burns something and her father is like no 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 she has to do this yeah and her father is the kind of dad where he's like I'm not just thinking about Carla but I'm also thinking about our family mm-hmm. I want the what's best for our family and our and our our girls are doing well but we you know I want what's best for our family and it's not just Carla and he, he I think he's really I think he's one of those dads that even though he's a rich guy he really wants his family to know him as as dad and and husband we know that he's had a past full of mistakes too mm. but it seems to me like he's doing his best to for lack of a better term repent for those sins no that's a, that's a very good term thank you repent uh redeem yes. you know he he wants to show his family that he despite all his mistakes he wants to be the stand-up guy that he knows he can't be not perfect but he's trying his best right yes and you see the bond that he has with Carla. I think it's really sweet, actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's very sweet. Yes. And um, so anyway, um, and so so they they she gives in and says, "Well, you know, okay, I'll, you know, uh, we'll we'll let you have this apartment." And she's like, "That is the best birthday present I could ever have." And it was just like a sweet scene, you know. Yeah. She was so happy, and so, and so she talks to the. Um, is it the realtor? I don't know who it is. I, th- I believe so. There's this guy, and she he's very honest with Mrs. Tate and says, Elizabeth, I don't know if that's what he called her. Mrs. Tate. Yeah, Mrs. Tate. She's like, Mrs. Lizzie. Tate. Lizzie. Uh, Mrs. Tate, there are people that will not sell, will not have um, somebody like Carla get an apartment from them. And that's, that's the, the honest truth. That's mm-hmm. reality. And she says, yes, but... She is a very unique woman. So I think at in, at this point, you kind of, you see that Elizabeth is trying. Oh yeah, Elizabeth is not a completely bad human being. No, 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 she's not. She, she's she, a person with flaws. She is a person with flaws and she understands. Yes. That she has flaws. Yeah, yeah. She's not saying, oh, I'm perfect. She's but not completely unaware of herself. No. I don't hate her. No, I, I don't hate her, but I, I do think she's like way overbearing. Yes. But she's like, you know, this this is my daughter she's very unique and she says yes but it is these uh, a, a unique young woman like her that uh people that have apartments like this will not give to her yes and she says i think i think you should she's she is a very she is an amazing woman and i think you should give her a chance and she's she's like he says i would agree i would totally agree with that and so he's one of those um those realtors that is willing to give her a chance. He also this. knows that the parents are super rich. And if, yeah, and they'll pay extra money to do it. Yeah, and there's going to be insurance that they But I, I really do think that this guy wants to, to try. I do yeah, think so. Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that his, her, her parents are loaded. So now, Juliet Lewis, a.k.a. Carla. Carla Tate, yes. Has an apartment. Yes, and she's very happy. Yes, she. Um, there's a montage where she's like rearranging her stuffed animals. What else is she doing? Uh, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, none of which I remember right now. Yeah, but 
this opens up a new level in the relationship between Carla and Daniel, doesn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> and so... Thanksgiving seems like a reason to uh, be thankful now. Uh, right. Shall I go into that? Go ahead. Okay. So they've been having questions about sex, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> Coming from their own, you know their own idea about what, what really happens. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and what Carla has been learning at school and she, it's so funny to see her be really honest about it at, at the dinner table, even though I probably, I wouldn't have done that, but it's funny because you kind of get to see, well, well, um, somebody said this at school and Thomas Porter said this at school. And this is what I'm learning from school that you're not teaching me. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 obvious that she knows more than what her mother could have told her. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have a question. They, they you know they're they're in the relationship, and Daniel and Carla are having this conversation. Like, have you ever done it before? And it's kind of a funny situation because, you know, looking. You know, if you're an outsider looking in, you're thinking, oh no, they they probably haven't. Right? They don't understand it. They probably never they don't even know what the word means. Yes. Um, and, and it's kind of funny because they have this idea and they're looking through this like sex book, right? I don't know if it's a, but is it a picture this book? It's the or joy something? of sex. Yeah. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of have to laugh at this scene, but it is kind of a little bit weird. Yes. But she's like, yeah, what about, you know, I was thinking about like 139 and like, yeah, but then there's like 40, like 146 and I was also thinking about 84. I'm guessing they're talking about pictures yes, and explanations. What they want to do. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And, he, and she's like, um, he's like, so, so are you ready to do this? And he's like opening the condoms. It's kind of a funny scene. Then there's a discussion. Hey, why don't we wait until Thanksgiving? She goes, you know, I think because we, we get more than two desserts. Yeah, you get, and you get more than two desserts. Which sounds like something I could say, except like, why wait till Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, and the holidays are really special, and, you know, I'm, that's where I'm thinking. Yes. You know, because she's more emotionally attached. Um. So, she goes to eat dinner with her family, every, she knows that she's DTF, and you know what that stands for. Yes, right? I understand what yes, that is. Yes, yes, yes. So, she's happy during the dinner. And she's like, yeah, but then she's like are we almost done? And she's like, Carla, why are you asking that? She's like, well, I don't want to get home too late. And we already know, you know, cause he's DTF. Yeah. Should I say with the acronym? No, I know. Any... I think everybody can figure okay. out what it is. Okay. Go ahead. She goes home to her place to talk to her mom, hangs up the phone and then uh, has a little bit of fun. <laughs> but I, I have to explain the scene because I thought it was, <laughs> such a funny part in the scene. Yes. They're getting, you know, all the things they need that, you know, they're ready, right? And then she's like, um, do you think we need some music, Daniel? And he's like, okay, I'll get the music. I hear some paper rustling in the, I, I heard some paper rustling in the scene. He's getting sure. the CD, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And then he, <laughs> he puts on the CD and what is it? 76 trombones. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a marching band playing it. <laughs> We both think it's a really funny scene. Yes. Of all the, the music you could choose. Yeah. It wasn't like Billie Holiday. It was that. 
Okay, continue on, my dear. Continue on. Things keep going well. They go to prom. Everything is good. It's it's and, some kind of a dance. I don't know what it is. But. Yeah. They go downstairs. We discover <clears throat> that Carla passed her classes. Mm-hmm. Right? But Daniel her man, not. Daniel, didn't. Um, and this is around the time where we find out that Daniel's dad is a little bit of a dick. Because he... A rich one, but, you know, very, very much a jerk in this movie. He refuses to pay for Daniel's place unless he's making a passing grade. Yeah. So now Daniel may have to move to Florida Mm -hmm. because dad won't help him out. And his mom lives in Florida, right? Right. And and he's basically now uh, pawning him off on his mother, which I think is really, really terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. Now it's his mother's turn, and he doesn't know what to do. Before that can happen, <clears throat> we're having a dinner at this country club <coughs> that involves Carla's sisters. Yeah, because um, Caroline, it's like a, a dinner to um, celebrate the engagement upcoming... Party. Yeah, it's the engagement party to celebrate the upcoming wedding of Caroline and Jeff. Yes. So they go there. Daniel's there. He decides to have a few drinks. A lot of drinks. And then he rocks the mic. Well, okay, let me explain this. So so Jeff gives a, um, you know, says something about his his lovely fiance, Caroline. And they're about ready to dance to their favorite song. They are dancing. They're dancing to their favorite song, Baby, I'm Yours. It's it's being performed by this group. <laughs> so, so he interrupts the song. Daniel does because he's already drunk. He staggers to the stage interrupts a song and says, you know, I just want to say that um, there's a special girl and uh, and her name is Carla and I love Carla and she loves me too. And we love each other so much that <laughs> we, we, we did it. Yeah. And, and she the crowd is, starts laughing and she's like, that's not, that's, 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 that's not what he's trying to, and he's, and she's like, really really Car's like pissed she's embarrassed beyond yes. belief i mean she wants to get out of there and the people are laughing and then he's like and we did it to the song 76 trombos and they're just having a ball with this yeah carla runs out there's a big argument she leaves with her family upset and and now it's time for daniel to go to florida yes Oh, they do have the, the do a huge argument outside, and she says she never wants to see him again. Yes, I, I basically gave a, a summation of that. Right. So, it's also time for Caroline to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the night before, everybody's upset, and Daniel's talking on the train with some dude who we never see again. He decides to leave and head back. Yep. To San Francisco. And and meanwhile, Carla is like, oh, I really miss Danny. Mm-hmm. I miss Daniel. I wish he was here. He's he. She doesn't know what's going on with him. Daniel hitchhikes back to the city. By the time he gets there, there's the wedding is in progress. He interrupts the ceremony, and he's in the vent. By the way, yes. <laughs> him and Juliet Lewis. Kind of agree, okay, we're going to move on from here. Mm-hmm. There is a reception and a big fight ensues between Diane Keatam and Keaton. Juliet Louise. 
Julia basically <laughs> walks away from her saying, we're going to have our own wedding and you're not going to be invited. Right. And, and she's like, and I don't, and I thought it was really funny because she's like, I don't like what she did with Caroline's wedding. I don't like the big centerpieces. I don't like this. The only thing I like is this dress. Well, the dress is really nice. The dress is really pretty. So anyways, <laughs> she organizes this wedding and invites the dad, the other two sisters is Diane Keaton invited, or we get the sense that she's just... Well, well, the dad says to her before the wedding, she says, I, you know, uh, Carla asked me to walk her down the aisle, and I'm going to go. And and I think he was basically saying, you can soak all you want to, but I'm going to be there for our daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe she decided... I'm guessing... Okay, so I'm guessing that she could come if she wanted to. The wedding ceremony happens. It's a beautiful ceremony, too. It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Julia Lewis gets married. She's walking back down the aisle the opposite way. And who does she see? Her mama. In a hat. In a hat. And plus, he was wearing other stuff, too. And she and she wears a lot of hats, you said, in movies. I've noticed that Diane Keaton seems to be a big fan of hats. Yeah. Maybe that's just a misperception I have. But something tells me she's... You've heard of the crazy cat lady? She's a crazy, she's the crazy hat lady. Crazy hat lady. <laughs> in any event. Yeah. They go outside. A marching band comes and plays. And then Juliet Lewis is about ready to go off into the sunset, but tells her mom, hey, listen, babe, everything's going to be all right. Babe? And then she doesn't call her mom that. Yeah, but I don't know the female equivalent to bro. Uh, She just says, don't worry, mom. Everything will be fine. Don't worry, ma. Mom. Everything will be ma. fine. Ma. Don't, don't worry, ma. Everything's going to be fine, ma. And then they drive off. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, yes. I got to say, I was not sure what to expect going into this film, but I really enjoyed it. Good. It's good. not my favorite movie, but it's a strong seven. I give, I give it, uh, so I give this movie an eight. Okay. And I'll tell you why I give it an 8. I give it an 8 because this is not your typical Hollywood movie about people with disabilities, mm-hmm. I think. And I really think that Diane Keaton gives a very realistic depiction of how moms, how some mothers and how some parents as a whole handle children with disabilities. And how if you control them enough... I think in some ways it stunts their um, their growth as a person, and it also stunts their their brain growth. I think I agree with you. I would also say that Carla is a little bit ungrateful. Yes, you would agree with that. Well, wait, okay. Tell me, explain why you think so, and I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm going to uh, comment. Okay, there's a few examples of this, right? Um, a lot of this has to do with money, and as we've established, I didn't grow up with Robin Leach doing profiles on my parents, but... Profiles of the poor and homeless. Right. No, I'm just kidding. What was that one skit, um, uh, Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous? No, that was a song by, um, was it, was, that was the first album by, um, uh, Big L, right? Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous. I have no idea. It might have been. I, God, I hope I don't get that wrong, but anyways. It's okay. It's, people can look it up, I'm sure. Big L, rest in peace. Okay. In any event, there's a few scenes that demonstrate to me that Carla is ungrateful. Um, there is a scene where, after we find out that Daniel has to move, 
she approaches her mom with the idea of maybe he could move in with me. The mom freaks out, and the dad, rightfully so, sides with Diane Keaton. Mm -hmm. I thought she was ungrateful because it's like, okay, if you want him to move in, fine, but you don't have enough money to pay for this place. Right. See, I didn't even realize that. Okay. Okay. And then she makes this big deal about how she's paying for the wedding herself. Mm -hmm. But we know that the sisters help her out. Mm. With the with the costs, right? Now we don't know to what extent. Maybe it was just like a dollar here, but something tells me that they gave her more money than that, right? And presumably the sisters are getting the money through the parents, right? You know, mm-hmm. maybe not directly, <laughs> but they probably have a nice trust fund that they're dipping into, right? Um, I also thought it was very rude and disrespectful for Carla to freak out at the sister's reception. I will I will say that I kind of agree with you to a point. Okay. Okay. Tell me. Are you talking about the dinner when um when Daniel uh came and um Well, I thought that was rude of Daniel. Yes. But I totally get why Carla would freak out there. I'm talking later on in the movie after Caroline gets married. They're at the reception. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that could have been handled differently, but I thought it was funny. It was funny, but what price? We now see Carla is arrogant. Mm. I don't know that she understands that she is. Mm. See, th- this is where I kind of disagree with you. Uh, I agree with you to a point. It's, it's easy to say that she's arrogant and ungrateful, but... At what extent does she understand that? Because remember, she has a disability. She has a learning disability. She may not get it. But in some ways, her thunder has been stolen from her mother, right? Okay. You know, she wanted to do, she wants to do all these things. And she did say to her mother, you never, you never look at me. You never, you always look at me different from all the other all the, uh, the other two girls. I'm just like, you're trying to figure me out, but you haven't figured me out yet. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. So I would have to agree with you to a point. There's things I don't like about Diane Keaton, but then there are other aspects of her personality I get. So She's basically forced into this position at the end of the movie to go to the wedding and give her blessing. But now the husband and Miss Keaton are forced to pay for homeboy's rent because he married the daughter. But we don't know that. How do you think they make rent? I uh I don't know. I mean maybe they do, maybe they don't. I think this is this is um this is left to interpretation. Maybe they do because they are um, they are helping Carla with the rent if, in fact, they do move back into uh, Carla's apartment. I'm assuming they're going to help her with the rent. They're not going to let her go on the street. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. You know. But I mean, but but I mean, yeah. I mean, they they don't have the means for it because right now he only works two jobs, and they're not. He's not being paid a lot either. So. Well, this movie brings up a lot about disability when you think about it. Mm-hmm. As we've discussed before, if you're a person with a disability 
at least back then, minimum wage laws don't apply to you. Mm. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I have not, and maybe that's something I should be looking up too about, um, minimum wage laws for disabilities back then in, uh, how it is now. Cause I don't know much about and it. And the movie, I mean, it's 20 years old, but it's not like from the 1930s. No, it's not. This is all within our lifetime. Right. You know. Yeah. When we we're conscious and messing around with girls and all that stuff. Okay. Okay, babes. Okay. I wasn't messing around with girls. Oh, you were. Yes. I can't. I can't relate to that. Though. Well, but you were messing around with boys in '99. Not really. Oh. I. I was not actually. I didn't. I. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. I was warding off boys. That's I what was, I was trying to do. I was focused on getting her done. I was. I was trying to get. I was, well, maybe I wasn't necessarily warding off boys. I was thinking about warding off boys. I didn't. I didn't do a very good job. Oh my goodness! But you know, I was what? too nice. My point being that we were like active in a time where the labor laws did not favor people with disabilities, mm-hmm. and this film kind of it touches on it, but it doesn't go deep with it because yeah. the characters are rich. Right. It, it gives them the out not to right explore that. Yeah, because we. Yeah, you're right. This is when we were, this was like, um, we were coming up, um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 yeah, it's interesting. Something I need to uh, look into. What does this film say about independence? Hmm. Well, uh, I think it affirms what I've always believed that if you keep somebody in a gilded cage whether they're rich whether they're not rich whether they have a disability or not they're going to find a way to fly out of the cage and never come back if you're not careful mm-hmm. now in carla's case kind of reminds me of myself in, in in some ways because there have been times in my life where i felt like i was being i was being kept from things that i wanted to do i love you honey what? No, sorry, go ahead. What was, was that? To, for? I was trying to make a joke. Go oh ahead. my goodness. Go ahead. <laughs> what joke was that? <laughs> I love you, honey. No, I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Keep going. Oh my goodness. Take two. Take two. Yes. No, no, that was kind of funny, actually. Um, no, I mean it's like and trying to and I've and I've been going and I still feel like it's a still a battle for me because there are some people in my life that really feel like they know better than I do, right? And I don't have a learning disability. I'm perfectly capable of making decisions on my own. And in fact, I've made decisions. And some decisions were not the best decisions, but they were my decisions. Carla is a little different because she does have learning disabilities. But she is pushing back and saying, hey, you know what? You've made decisions for me, and now it's my turn to make my own decisions. And I like her for that. I think she's, I think she stands up for, for herself. If I had super rich parents. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, like I, I always say, oh, I wish my parents had like tons of money growing up. Right. But in a, this film makes me look at it another way. Like it's probably a good thing. 
Because I, I, I see that too. Honestly, yes. if I had super rich parents, I would never stand up for myself. I, I would go along. I would I go with the program so either. quickly. I don't think I would either. I would have a hard time. And, and also, I think about the um, the stuff versus using what you, you know, a, um, the, you know, stuff versus um, being content with what you have, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I would appreciate all the things that my parents tried to provide for me if I, if I grew up in a rich family because they could give me whatever they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, this film makes me glad that I didn't have rich parents because I don't think that I would be the pe- person that my friends enjoy being around. I wouldn't be, and, and me too, I wouldn't appreciate because um, I'll give credit to where, where credit is due. To me, go ahead. Not to you. Okay, go ahead. I, I, this is this has nothing to do with you, Bubs. That's it, but go ahead. If you're giving credit, it's all to do with me, but go ahead. Bubs. We'll make an exception this time, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. No. Because of the 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 humble um the way that my my mom um approaches being humble about what you have right mm-hmm. um she never was into like getting like the the flashiest bag or the the designer clothes i mean she does she can look she can look nice no matter what she's wearing whether she's got some nice jewelry or whether she, whether she doesn't, she she knows how to do that, but not to pay attention to all those things and to appreciate what you have because you're you know she, you know being content with with having food on the table, being content with having a bed, not the doesn't have to be the nicest looking bed, but it's a bed. Being content with having a couch, being content with living in an apartment. May not be a house, but it's an apartment. You know, having that foundation instead of saying, you know, instead of worrying about how how much money you can pay for the um, the designing of your kitchen. You know, how to up your game on your kitchen or your bathroom or your sinks or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. and people just there are some people that I know that I won't mention that really pay attention to a lot of stuff because they can get that stuff. Yes. And I don't. I think I let us down a rabbit hole. Yes. But it's an interesting, this film, I like how it deals with independence and disability. Mm -hmm. I think maybe we have a little bit of a different perspective on this from most people because we are disabled adults. Mm -hmm. But I see independence in relation to everybody. Disability heightens it, but I, I think yes. it applies to pretty much everyone. Uh-huh. Independence to me is a spectrum thing, right? So there's people who have no independence whatsoever, and they their parents give them showers when they're adults and all that stuff. Yes. And then there are people who, like, the other side of that would be somebody who just, like, lives off of the land somewhere in the woods. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a matter of where do you fall on the spectrum mm-hmm. of those two extremes. Most people land somewhere in the middle. I because, would say I'm in the middle, yes. Yeah, but to be truly independent implies that you live on your own, not in a house, but out in the woods somewhere, and you don't depend on society for anything. Um, 
So true dependence from all um, independence. No, 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 no. Go true, on. true independence. What I'm saying is true independence to what society can give us. Yes, is that what you mean? Would be living out in the woods and hunting with a bow and arrow for your own food, and you make that bow and arrow by yourself. That's true independence. And most people fall on the spectrum, and I think it's a matter of deciding where you are willing to fall in that spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. What's important to you. And I think Juliet Lewis is figuring that out. It's interesting to see how she comes to those conclusions. For example, she'll let her parents pay the rent, but she wants to finance her own wedding. Right. Now there's an interesting debate. Does she truly do that? But at least that discussion is being had by her and Daniel. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. What do you think? Uh, something else that comes up to me is the idea of crypt drag. What is that? It's when non-disabled people play disabled characters. Mm. Yeah. What do you think about that in relation to this movie? Because um, both Daniel and Carla are played by actors who right. don't have di a disability. Yeah, it's not one that we know of. Yes, I know. No, so I kind of go back and forth with this because mm -hmm. I honestly think that they were really good. They were. Um, having said that, it would have been even more interesting if they had two disabled actors. If they could find somebody that, or maybe even would be better if they didn't have disabled actors and they had people with uh, disabilities that were interested in acting and they cast them in the movie instead of Juliet Lewis and uh, Giovanni Ribisi. So I kind of go back and forth with it. But they did do a really good job with their characters, mm -hmm. I think. They stayed in, in character. So, um, but, I honest, but I also think that the way that they handled disabilities in this movie was, was really um, realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about the movie or the characters? Um, well, I, I want to do, um, I want to ask you about, um, Elizabeth Tate, who is, um, uh, and Radley Tate. I don't know who the, the guy was, but he was really good. Yeah. Um, what do they say? What, what, what to you, I'm asking, Go on. what do you think they tell us about, um, brain growth? Like if you are thinking about this from a blind perspective, because mm -hmm. we both have met blind people that were well-adjusted and blind people that were maladjusted, yes. rather than they were being very sheltered. Um, and what, what are these parents telling uh, saying about anyone with a disability who has been sheltered? It's, it's weird because they're, I mean, I know we had this discussion earlier with, from dust till dawn about how I believe that George Clooney and Harvey Keitel are the yin and yang, right? Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel similarly about the parents and the other sister. There's the dad who, he's not going to let Juliet Lewis just like drive a car and go out clubbing. But... But he's going to be realistic about he's it. Gonna, he's going to be realistic about it. And realistic doesn't just mean keeping her in their house and only doing things that the parents want to do. Right, exactly. He's trying to find the balance. And then you have Diane Keaton, who I think in her heart of hearts, she does want Juliet Lewis to have independence. Yeah. But it's 
it's the independence that she sees as fit. It's I, not working with Julia Lewis I to forgot, come up with the plan. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that scene where they're on a boat. Um, her and um, Radley Tate yes. are on a boat. And he is explained to her, look, it's fine. I understand why you feel that way towards Carla. She's like, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just not, you know, um, I'm thinking about things that I, I, at me as a mother, I'm not supposed to, you know, I shouldn't be thinking about, but I feel that way mm-hmm. towards my daughter. I don't know how to bond with her. And, and Radley, her husband was saying, we're going to get through this. It's fine. You're doing a good job. You know, the girls are not drug addicts or not this or not having all these problems and you're doing a good job. And she's like, yeah, but it's Carla. I mean, how can I, you know, how can I bond with her? I don't even know what she likes. And I think this is a really good, honest discussion she's having with her husband. Like, you know, I know I'm a flawed human being, but I want to, I want to do better. So to me, Radley represents, besides the fact that he's a Republican. <laughs> oh, you had to put that political. He put that in there. there. I know. I yeah. know. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. I know, but... And who knows? He may have even been joking to her. Who knows if his character is even a Republican? We don't know that yet. And there are different extremes in the conservative community, just like there are in every community. I'm going down a rabbit hole. You are. Yes. To me, Radley represents the type of person you should have if you're a disabled Absolutely. And Diane Keaton represents the type of parents that society thinks you should have. Uh Uh-huh. If that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. And... I've seen that in my own life too, and mm-hmm. I and I can kind of see both of these parents in my life. Well, but but here's something that I brought up that you thought was kind of interesting, Tell right? Me. It would be better. So I don't know which is worse because I I have somebody in my life where um, this person who will not be named does not see me on a regular basis and doesn't talk to me on a regular basis. But even before that, even before when I was a child could not understand how I would get along as an adult. Right. But this, but, but the other person in my family that has seen me and knows me as an adult can see how I would get along as an adult with a little bit of um, help and uh, guidance. And this person does mean well. Now, what I think about Elizabeth Tate's character, I could understand why she would think that if she wasn't in Carla's life very much, if she didn't see how she was as an adult, because of course you're you're not going to understand it. You're not around this person 24-7, seven days a week. You're not calling them regularly, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact that she is around her and she sees her makes it all the more painful to watch. Yeah, because she she's still letting her own perceptions guide how she treats her daughter. Yes, and I think that's way worse. Mm-hmm. Way worse than being away from your disabled ch- adult child and not seeing that on a regular basis. So how would she know that? But the fact that she is around her a lot and she sees her, she still can't figure it out. And that's worse to see. That's way worse to see. Yes. Would you agree? I would agree. Yes. But again, I don't think she's evil. I don't think so either. I, I just think that she's caught in her own perspective. Yes. And she, she can't see the forest from the trees. Mm-hmm. 
uh, where she is uh, coming from her own perspective. She can't see the forest from the trees. But I do, I, I think that she's making a start at the wedding. And we can both agree that Carla's parents are better than Daniel's. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you don't even see his mother. You don't even know what kind of a person she's like. The father would just rather, you know. He hangs up on Daniel. She, he point. does. He he's like he's like okay. It's not. It, I I've done this for a while now. It's your mother's turn. And it's <laughs> like, what horrible parents. I mean, then you you see the extreme with uh with his parents versus Carla's parents. At least you know that Carla's parents does do love her. Yeah. In her in their own way, but they do love her, and her sisters love her, and she is loved by by a lot of people. Daniel, unfortunately, is very lost in that he doesn't know where to go with his parents. It's really sad. It leads to an interesting question. I hope so, at least. But okay, roll with me here. All right. How does Daniel fit into the family after the wedding? So we have this great celebration at the end. But two or three years down the line, what's his relationship with the father-in-law? Or with his brother-in-laws, mm. or with the other because, sisters. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because after that incident at the dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Does his father-in-law forgive him for that and say, "You know what? You made a mistake." Oh, I think he does. I think I think you're right. Yeah, I think I, I almost don't even think that's a question. But what's the relationship like years into it? I think they grow because when. Daniel didn't have a good father in his life. I think that he, in turn, um, Mr. Tate, uh, becomes a father to Daniel, but also is a good father still to Carla. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the mother, I think this is a new beginning for her. I like to think that this is a new beginning for her because she has to accept that her 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 daughter is now married to Daniel. And so now she's dealing, she is um she has Carla in her life and she has Daniel in her life. And now I think it's maybe it's a new beginning for her. I'd like to think that. It also speaks to the idea of what is perfection. Mm-hmm. Because from the outside looking in, I maybe perfection is a long a wrong word. Because this family doesn't have a perfect life, but they right. they have a okay. They're rich, right? But they have two daughters who are successful in their field, and they have Carla, who may not be your typical definition of success, but she's doing the best she can. Hmm. And the parents still have issues, right? Yeah. So there's the stuff with Carla, but there's also they have a gay daughter. And they're dealing with that. The family has never met her partner. Exactly. Yeah. And it sounds like she's been in a long-term relationship, but they don't meet her until Carla's wedding. The partner isn't at Caroline's wedding. No. The partner can't be there because Caroline's parents are financing it and the mom doesn't want the partner there. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, so that's another issue that's coming up too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does this movie, I guess not say about perfection, but what does it say about acceptance? I think it says a lot to say. I think it has a lot to say about acceptance and success, right? Mm. Because there are times in my life where I look at myself and I'm like, you know, I should be doing this. I don't feel, I feel kind of inadequate. 
you know, what can I, what, what can I do to be a member of society? Why am I not at my goal or whatever it is? But I think about that and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Carla has, Carla in this movie is showing that she may not be, she may not be at her, at all of her goals, but she's on the journey to them. She may not be there yet, but she's making her way there. She's on her journey. And I think we're all on our journeys wherever we are and it doesn't help to compare to make comparisons because you're always going to if you make a comparison and it's with anything in life whether you are whether you write poetry or not whether you are into music or not right mm -hmm. you make comparisons with somebody you're always going to be inferior to that person and it's not a good feeling and I think that you know acknowledging that we are on our own journeys to wherever we're going in our lives it's we have to think about that and accept it and i have a hard time with that sometimes yeah would do you would you say that you do or don't i have a huge issue with comparison yeah i'm always too. comparing myself to other people whether good or bad right i have to really check myself too yes yeah and it's, it's hard. It is. It's, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I do have that, but I have to remember because my, so in college, I had a very wise professor. He was one of my favorite professors and he always told us, he would give us some, um, he called them marshisms and I'll explain that later on in, in outside of the, pod, the podcast. Go ahead. But he always said to us in our classes when we had him that, comparison is the root of inferiority and explained it. He's like, you compare yourself to somebody, you're going to feel inferior. So don't make those comparisons because you may not be at the level because there's always going to be somebody at another level than you are that is better than you at your craft or what, what have you, but you can't compare yourself. You, you do realize that your professor is not the first person to say that. I know that. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that he isn't, but that, that's that's what I got from him. Got you. And I'm taking it and trying to apply that to my own self. No, I know that he he probably isn't the only person who said it. Because I've heard that way before I knew you, and I did not know your professor. No. Unless everybody I've heard that from is just copying off of him. No, but I, but my point being is that that's what I took away from him. Yeah. And I don't want to ever forget that because sometimes I feel that way about myself. I think it's healthy, though, in some respects, right? So mm -hmm. you could look at somebody. It's it's how you do it, though. So, for example, you could look at somebody who is, um, okay, let's say as a blind person. Yes. You could look at somebody who's successful in the field that you want to be in. Mm -hmm. And you could say, wow, that person's really doing well. They got enough. it all together. And yeah. then... It, but it's how you were, how you follow that up with. Do you follow that up with? And I'm such a loser. I'm I'm failing, and I'll never be as good as this person. Or uh, I'm jealous of them because they got all the breaks in life, and and everybody in my life just screwed me over. Or do you follow it up with? I wonder how they were able to navigate that road. Maybe I could do some research and find out what they did that made them successful. Um. So I try to go with that. The third thing you just said about mm -hmm. how they are able to navigate it, because I don't think I'm a loser. I did make a lot of accomplishments, and I'm, um, I'm still on my journey, and and I do wonder, well, geez, how did they, 
how do they how do they do so well and are they really doing well and how how can i make that how can i get to my goal yeah and and i can't i can't think of it like oh this is awful i'm a loser i'm this i'm that you know and it's it doesn't help to do that it yeah. really doesn't and um just you know using it as a lesson and thinking about well what can i learn from this person that's the way that i try to see it Nice. But I have, I go back and forth with it too. Cause some, you know, we all, we all have compared ourselves to somebody. Yeah. And it's how often you do it too. I, I try not to think about it mm-hmm. because I know that if I think about it, I'm going to go down, um, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down. Is there anything else you want to say or ask about this movie? Uh, no, I'm glad you liked it. <clears throat> I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad you thought that uh, Juliet Lewis and Giovanni Ribisi really did well in this movie, and I'm 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 glad it made you uh, think about about things like that we discussed. Absolutely. I mean, listen, it's not Jacob blessing water and a squirt gun, <laughs> but it's still it's still a really good movie and worth my time. Right. I'm glad I saw it, and maybe one day I will even revisit the film. Mm. To get a different perspective. Mm-hmm. The, the only other question I would ask you about the film is... About what one? Which one? The other sister. Okay. She has a gay sister. Mm-hmm. And I bring up her <coughs> being gay for the reason of... <coughs> she's also in an al- a, a bit of an outcast in the movie. Yes. But we don't see her story. No. What do you think it was like for her growing up being gay... And maybe feeling like you could share it to an extent, <coughs> but it was also kind of swept under the rug. And the focus of the family is on your disabled sister. <coughs> I would imagine that she, she, like Carla, felt like, well, why is she more important than me? And I'm going through issues. She may not agree with my lifestyle, but at least you know, at least acknowledge me, you know, even if you don't agree with my lifestyle, at least acknowledge me that I'm your daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. Because <laughs> remember that funny scene where she's like, I give to gay causes. I give to this and that. It's like, yeah, but what about, yeah, but why can't you do that with me? And she's like, because they're not my child. Right. You know, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. That was. And I'm like, well, I mean, if I were her, if I were, were, were Heather, um, Heather is, was her name. I'm bad with names. If I were Heather, I would feel, I would probably feel the same way that she did. Yeah. Like, well, you're, you're, and, and maybe that's why Heather is so sympathetic to Carla because of it. I can see that. Because she seemed like she really wants Carla to have the best life that she can have. And I think she genuinely means it. And I think because she's also not getting the love from her mother that she wants she is saying, well, why can't you be like that with me? You know, why can't you acknowledge it? Even if you don't agree, why can't you acknowledge that I have, I'm in a same sex relationship and that I want you to meet Michelle. And I can understand why Diane Keaton would feel that way. But I also wonder how Heather was able to deal with it. Yeah. I'm glad that they didn't focus on Heather only because it's not 
her story. Right. But I thought that, that we should at least acknowledge her character. I do like that the sisters, how they're bonding with Carla as yeah. an adult. I love that. They're I not just dismissing her no they're not they're they're a part i mean she is a part of her um of caroline's bachelorette party albeit very strange mm -hmm. you know you know and um you know and i think it's great that she tre they're treating her they're not dehumanizing her they're treating her as if she were one of the girls that's how i felt that was cool that was very cool yeah yes so the other sister we both agree is a really good movie and from dust to dawn, we are very divided. Yes. But check these movies out for yourself mm -hmm. and see what you think. Mm -hmm. Alana? Yes. We also watched a couple of episodes of Star Trek. Yes. Deep Space Nine. I'm going to let you give an, an overview. And you don't have to go, you don't have to like give the entire story, but. Yeah, because we're like an hour and a half deep into this. Yes, we are. <laughs> but. Um, <clears throat> There's other things we want to discuss. Yes. This might become Joe Rogan territory. Long. Oh, goodness. But we'll see. Oh. I'll give a brief episode of an Odo. It was good. Focused. It was night. very good. Yes. A story. I, I think it's probably one of my favorite Odo episodes. It's really good. Yeah. It starts off. Chief O'Brien and Odo are coming home from some conference. They have a brief exchange because Odo bought presents for Colonel Kira, and O'Brien didn't get anything for, for Keiko. Yes. So it, there's a funny exchange. And then there's this weird thing that seems to be following them. They can't figure out what it is. Eventually, we discover that it's another changeling. Mm. They go back to the station... Odo puts the changeling in the brig only temporarily. He talks to Cisco, and <clears throat> Cisco's like, Well, you know, we're at war with your people. We don't know if this guy is safe. Odo explains he hasn't had contact with any other changelings, bro. I want to vouch for him, and you should know me well enough to let him out under my custody. <laughs> Cisco reluctantly agrees. Mm hmm. The other changeling is a bit judgmental of Odo. Mm -hmm. We see this when Odo takes him back to his quarters and the changeling notices a picture of Colonel Kira and Odo together mm -hmm. and basically explains, you know, I dated a solid once, but it ended because she wanted kids. And they couldn't. I, I couldn't have any. I couldn't have any kids, yeah. Oda says, well, Major Kira and I have never talked about having kids. The other changeling basically explains, well, yeah, but me and my girl never talked about it either. And one day she just left. Eventually, they get to talking about names. The other changeling suggests that they call him Laws. Yes. And Laws goes around the station. He meets the rest of the crew in quarks or some of them and there's a very awkward exchange where he's basically bad mouthing solids <clears throat> at least yeah. laz is trying to convince odo to leave his life on deep space nine and go out with him there's this really interesting scene where odo comes back from spending some time with kira mm. and there's fire mm -hmm. in his quarters mm -hmm. first <clears throat> he's concerned and then he realized that it's just laz mm -hmm. Laws forms back into a human shape, <coughs> human-ish. Yes. And basically says, 
I bet you didn't know we could change into fire. This is why you need to come with me, so we could find other changelings who are not connected to the Great Link. Odo kind of shows him what that is when he links with him. And we could form our own society and be our own crew. Then there's this great scene where Laz turns into Miss on the promenade. And it's basically he's taunting what his abilities over Odo. Mm-hmm. There is a dispute, some Klingons get involved, and chaos ensues. Mm-hmm. Laz is thrown back into the brig. Odo tries to vouch for him. And remember, this entire episode he's been hearing from Laz, listen, the solids, they don't really understand you. You know, they they fear you. That's why you think that they like having you around, but they will mm-hmm. turn on you. <clears throat> yeah. Cisco doesn't want Laws to be released, especially into Odo's custody. Mm-hmm. Odo gets mad, tells Kira, "Listen, if this if Laws wasn't a changeling, you know Cisco would step up." Right. Kira disagrees. She knows that Laws wants Odo to come with him, mm-hmm. but she frees Laws and says, "I'm doing this because I love Odo. I want you to wait here for him." She tells him, go to Diorian 3 or whatever it's called. Uh, um, Corrales 3. Corrales 3, that's right. <laughs> Something weird like that. I'm sorry, I got this wrong. Corrales 3. Yes. And you asked me, would I ever leave you to go to Corrales 3? And I said, no, but I'd leave you to go to Corrales 4. <laughs> and and anyway, <laughs> I've heard it's much nicer. <laughs> okay. She tells Odo... Laz is waiting on Corrales 3. I understand that you got to go and do what you got to do. Odo goes there and basically tells Laz, I'm not going to go any further with you, but I wanted to come here and wish you luck. I thought Laz's line is so great. He's like, I'm going to leave, but I should be the one wishing you luck because uh-huh. you're going back to DS9 right, right, and mm-hmm. to be with the solids. Right. Mm-hmm. He returns, which surprises Kira. And she tells him, I want you to share with me. I don't want you to feel like you could be fake. Yeah, I, I yeah, because um she felt like she could not relate because she couldn't link with him. Yes. Yeah. They push their hands together. He becomes a gelatinous state and then kind of becomes this light form near the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Who's embracing Kira, and that's where the episode ends. You said this is one of your favorite Odo episodes. Yes, I do. I like it a lot. Why do you think yes, it's so good? Because um, I remember in past episodes, it was, you know, you're finding more about Odo's feelings towards Kira. And he's had human relationships, too, with, uh, what is that other lady? The one that he had a relationship with? Oh, in the simple vis- investigation. Um, yeah. I forgot what her name was. Oh God! I, I, he, I'm he, gonna remember he, later. But he was in love with her at one time. But you, you already know from watching the episodes that he really loved Kira. Mm-hmm. He's loved Kira for a long time, a long, long time. Like that, like like she touched him in a way that no one could ever touch him. And and I think it was interesting because Laws was like, so you want to be on DS Nine. Because you love Kira, because you're because of Kira, she's the reason why you're there. I thought that was kind of interesting. And this is right after they had linked up. Yes. So presumably, 
Laws can see into Odo's consciousness. Yes. Do you think that that's true, though? <coughs> Bless you. <coughs> Thank you. I don't think it's completely true. You think he'd still be on DS9? Yes. If Kira died or something. Uh, well, it would... Okay, so... He didn't just form relationship with, with, relationships with Kira... A relationship with Kira, mm-hmm. but he also made friends with O'Brien, Quark. Although it's a kind of a weird friendship, uh, with um, Bashir. Bashir, right? Yeah. So it's not just Kira. Although I think he would be devastated if she died. I don't think he's just there for Kira. Yeah. But I do feel that if she died, and I'm not saying if she does or doesn't, mm-hmm. there are some twists and turns in the last year. Uh huh. But if she died, I don't know if Odo would stay or not. He would. He, I think he would have a conflict. Yes. I don't know that he would or not, but um, it would be devastating for him if she did die. For sure. For sure. Um, so I, I guess my question would be, when they did touch hands together and he was around her and everything, what was the look on her face? She was very joyous. It looked like she was kind of smiling and happy about this. Okay. That's good. That's very good. What do you think this episode teaches us about Kira and love? I think she really... You know, because you know how when you hear on shows, like, if you love someone, let uh, you love someone enough to let them go, right? Yeah. I think she was a perfect example of that. I mean... um. You think about, I think about, well, what was, what would I do in that situation? Would I be, would I love this person enough to let you go, to do your thing, right? I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would be able to do that. Mm. I mean, if I'm really honest with myself, I don't know what, how I would, how I would deal with it. So if it comes out tomorrow that I'm not a solid and the other change things <laughs> wanted to just like have a link up with me, you're not going to be in favor of that. I don't think I could be in favor with that. No. Okay. I mean, initially, if I'm really honest with myself, I think I would be selfish. Mm. Because I don't know that I would be able to handle that. But she shows a perfect example of loving someone enough to let this person go and figure out what they want to do. Is Ben Sisko a bigot? What do you mean? Well, I, I would use the term racist, but Odo is a member of a different species. But Odo, at one point, says Sakura, if Laws wasn't a changeling, Cisco would find a way to get him out of the brig. He uses different verbiage, but the sentiment is still mm. the same. Well, remember that scene where um, Odo was talking to Captain Cisco? Yeah. And he said something like, I thought you were going to say, I didn't think you're going to say that. I thought you were going to say that because I was a changeling. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't think Captain Cisco is a bigot. No. Yeah. So basically what I, I know the scene you're talking about, Cisco said that Martok didn't want you to watch Laz mm-hmm. while he's in the brig. Yeah. And he said, because you were there and the fight happened, I believe. Y- you were a witness to a crime Yeah. or something. You're a witness to that. Is it possible that Cisco is, for lack of a better term, racist, but it's one of those things, it's unconscious racism? 
I don't think so. Okay. But, and it isn't just because I like Cisco. I genuinely don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an interesting scene in this episode where Quark talks to Odo and mm-hmm. explains that we fear you mm. because you're uh, basically an unknown and us humanoid species can only deal with what we know. Mm-hmm. And that's why we fear your species. Mm. That's a very powerful scene. Yeah. And I want to get your perspective. What did you think of that scene? Um, so this is why I'm not too sure about how Quark really feels about Odo. Because he says that he likes Odo, right? I, I honestly, I believe Quark when he says I, I believe it too. But then when he said that, I'm guessing he's talking in general, general about everybody else. Yeah, right? he's not just talking about you right. being Odo. He's talking about you, Odo, and I, his species. I'm not sure how to think of that. I don't, I'm not sure what to think of that scene. Because it's kind of like, well, what do they really feel about Odo when, they're, when he's not there? My interpretation mm-hmm. is that he's mainly talking about laws. Mm. But he wants mm-hmm. to give... Odo some tough truths about, listen, this is how I feel about laws. This is why some people might feel that way about you. It's because of the species you come from. But it doesn't mean that Quark feels that way. It doesn't mean that Quark feels that way about Odo, but it could explain why Quark feels that way about other changelings and why he may have felt that way about Odo in the past before he got to know him. Okay. And Quark is taking a big risk telling Odo that because he could tell that Odo's in a foul mood. Mm-hmm. Odo also has a little bit of power being the chief of security on the station. Right, right. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. What does that scene tell us about Quark as a person? I think that, I mean, you may not, you may not agree with me, but I think that by saying that to, to Odo, because Quark really considers him a friend and... I think that Quark was giving him some truth that uh, giving him an honest, uh, being honest with him that no, uh, very honest with him that no one has ever been mm-hmm. um, when it comes to his, his species and that he wouldn't be getting it from anybody else except for Quark. That's how I see it. Yeah. He was willing to tell him that truth no matter how much it hurt. Rom isn't going to say that. No, 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 no. Rom is like a happy-go-lucky uh, <laughs> Ferengi that will do anything his brother said. You know. Yeah. I you know. I I think I think Rom is very endearing, but not very smart. But I digress. I think that Quark was willing to be honest with him, even if it was going to hurt Odo's feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's what a true friend does. We need people like quark in our lives yes in some ways and we also need people who are completely different from him exactly yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah what does this episode say about holding on to the past you gotta put your past behind you no i mean it's it's like you can hold on to the past so long but but then, I don't know. I go back and forth with it. Let me... How, how, explain what you mean, because... Okay. In a sense, both Laws and Odo are holding on to the past. Yes. Even though Laws hides it in, let's look towards the future and find other changelings. Yes. He's also basing his 
opinions on the solids on people he met before going to DS9. Uh-huh, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And how messed up they may have been. Yes, yes. He's not getting to know them. And we kind of see this because Kira helps him escape for Odo, but he still doesn't really understand how love works, right? Mm-hmm. He's holding on to the past, but he's using the future as as his cloak, in a sense. Yes. Odo, we can make the argument, is holding on to the past because he has this opportunity to go off with laws, but he's so connected to the history he has Mm -hmm. with everybody on DS9 that he's choosing not to do that. Right. Well, I go back and forth with it because I could say, you know, you don't hold on to the past because it's time to move forward, right? The mm-hmm. past is a past, but I think in this case, I kind of side. I think in this case, I would side with Odo on it, on this. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to give any more context for the next question I, I'm going to ask you because I know too much. Yeah. But how do you think things with Odo and Kira end? Do they end with one of them dying? Do they end with them getting married? Do they end with Kira getting old? I don't know. Hmm. I'm not going to say because I don't want to guess it and be completely wrong. That's fair. Because <laughs> I've been wrong before. Oh. Yeah. Yes. I don't want to make that mistake. Would you recommend this episode to people? Of course I would. Yes. Let me ask you another question. Yes. Would you recommend it to somebody who's never seen DS9 before? Not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them see this first. Okay. But I would recommend it to them mm. uh, later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Not that they see this episode before everything else. Odo episodes are some of my favorite of the series. Mm-hmm. You already know he's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Uh, just because he's such a good outcast. Yes. You know. Yep. Um. And it sounds to me like this is your favorite Odo episode. or Yes, one of, one of many. Yeah. One because of many. I don't think you can really go wrong with an Odo episode. Absolutely not. No, yeah. he's he is a great character. He has mm-hmm. so much depth. And with him and Kira, it's like, wow. Like, they're just... They work well together. They do work well together, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say about this episode no oh <laughs> j-lo yes we watched another episode of ds9 yes do you want to cover it or do you want me to give a quick synopsis oh go on give a quick synopsis you're better at that than i am <laughs> i'm going to quickly rush over this one and that's because we've been going a long time but also because we haven't finished the storyline it's a four-part episode mm-hmm. in the seventh season mm-hmm. and so i our analysis will also be kind of fast because of that, but there are a few questions I have about it with you later. Mm-hmm. Okay, it starts off. Cisco is talking to Cassidy Yates about how he bought this property on Bajor, and he wants to retire there someday. We find out that these Klingon battleships were attacked and destroyed. Worf was the commanding officer on one of them, and the last person who saw him was a crewman who left, and Worf was still on the bridge fighting the good fight. The Defiant goes out to search for any signs of life. They find six escape pods. Worf is not on any of them. 
Esri thinks of Dax's past relationship with Worf mm -hmm. and is inspired to steal a shuttlecraft, go and search for him. She finds him, but they're having some problems. They end up abandoning the runabout and transporting down to this planet where they have sex and are kidnapped by the Breen. Mm -hmm. While this is going on, there's some trouble on Cardassia. Mm -hmm. Galdacott is back in town. Again. And he believes that he has the power of the Paw Wraith with him. Yes. So he's a little bit more dangerous. We don't see him in this episode, by the way. We do see him in this do episode. Oh, when was that? He talks to Damar early on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. Because the founders, something's going on. We know that they're dying, but Damar doesn't know what's going on with them. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. He has a surgeon change Damar's look. I mean, Damar has a surgeon work on Galdicott and make him look like a Cardassian. Like right. like a uh, Bajoran. I'm mm -hmm. not thinking today. I'm stuck on stupid. Oh my goodness. So by this end of this episode. You're fine. You're fine. Sorry. Thank you. Galdicott looks like a Bajoran. Mm -hmm. On the space station, Ben decides to propose to Cassidy. Yep. She says yes. They're planning a small ceremony. Because Ben sometimes forgets that he's the emissary. <laughs> yes. We discover that the people of Bajor thinks this is going to be one of the biggest weddings in their history. Yeah. So they're a little bit overwhelmed by that. But then Ben has a vision of his dead mother. Yep. Saying, listen, the Cisco's path is different from hers. Uh-huh. And if they go down the same path, nothing but uh, tragedy is going to befall the emissary. Yep. And that's where the episode ends. Yep, she, yep, uh-huh, yep. Um, I know I covered this up really fast and I that's left okay. a lot of stuff out of it. That's okay. Overall, what did you think of this episode? It is very, I, the, the, the storylines are, the two storylines are very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, with, with Ezri and Worf, and then you've got uh, Ben and Cassidy, Cassidy Yates. Cassidy Yates, yeah. right. I like, too, how a lot of the times when they talk about Cassidy, they'll just say her full name, Cassidy Yates. Cassidy Yates, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cool. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> I, li I like that. Okay. It just, it, it works for me. But the way that the, um, I thought it was funny how the, well, not funny, but the way that um, the prophet was saying, you are the Cisco. It's kind of funny how they talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the prophets are weird like You that. are the Cisco. Yes, the Cisco. Yeah. And I, I keep telling you, you are the J-Lo. <laughs> okay. J-Lo. Yes. What does this episode, kind of a similar question that I asked about the Yoda one, but what do we learn about holding on? Because we have Esri who is holding on to another person's memory of work. Mm. And we have Cisco who is holding on to... Jadzia. Well... I was going to, in some ways, yes, but I was going to say the idea of marriage to Cassidy Yates. Then we have... Wait, 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 what did you say? Worf? I said Cisco. You said Worf. No, I said Cisco. I said Worf earlier when I was referring to Jed, um, Esri. Esri. Okay, I'm sorry. But then I said Cisco. Mm, okay. Uh, who's holding on to the idea of marriage and a happy life. Mm. We also have Goldacott, who is holding on to the idea of power. Mm-hmm. 
what does this episode say about us holding on to the past? Wow. It says another thing. Well, so the, the, the interesting, so it's interesting though, because I kind of go back and forth with it because Esri is probably very confused. Mm-hmm. Not just that, not that just that, that she is dealing with um, all the memories that Dax had. All the memories of the Dax symbiote, right? Including, yeah. including uh, Jadzia's memories, and including her marriage to Worf, and her um, her brief marriage to Worf, right? So she's got to be really <coughs> confused about mm-hmm. what she wants and what she needs, whether she wants Worf or needs Worf, or whether this is just a memory of hers that she has to. She she has to um, remember that it's not really her memory. It's Jadzia's memories, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got Ben Sisko, who is struggling because she he really loves Cassidy and he wants to marry her and wants to spend the rest of his life with her, but sees that um, his dead mother is saying, you cannot share the, she cannot share the path with you. You have to go it alone. And she's and he's saying, you want me to do what you want me to do, and I want to be happy. So I can see the struggle there. It's really hard for for him. We have reason to believe that the prophets exist outside of time. Mm-hmm. So they already know um, Cisco's going to do what he's going to do. And yet they're giving him a warning. Mm-hmm. How much do you think him knowing this about the prophets affects him going forward? Hmm. I don't know. It's a conflict, I would say, mm. because he's he doesn't just he isn't just hearing it from the prophets, but he's also the emissary. Yeah. So he's got, you know, and and the emissary getting married is like huge on Bajor. Mm-hmm. So he's got to deal with that. And be emissary. <laughs> I want to know to you. Mm-hmm. This is more about the series and less about the specific episode. What do you think Cisco tells us about faith? For example, when the show starts off, he doesn't know he's the emissary. He just thinks that he's this widowed dad. Right. Who works in Starfleet. And then he grows. And for a while, he doesn't believe he's the emissary. And now he's... He's fallen into the role. He's accepted that he pl- he plays a part of the emissary, but he doesn't really. He believes in the prophets, but sometimes he'll question them. So, how do you, how does how do you think of Cisco in relation to faith? Mm. Well, it kind of goes back to. It kind of goes back to what happened with. Well, I know it's different than from dusk till dawn, right? Mm-hmm. Because Jacob was questioning his faith. Yeah. Now that he's got this this beautiful fiance, right? Now he's now he's engaged to Cassidy Yates. He wants to make a life with her. And now he's questioning his dead mother because she's a prophet, right? Yeah. And saying, hey, you know, I want to do this for me. I'm not doing this for anybody else but me because I want to be happy now. So I think he is, uh, he's questioning his faith now, it seems like. Do you think that he's uh, 
a good representative of what people go through. Yes. Mm. Yes, I do. Yes. Does it matter what faith you are? Yes, I do. I think so. That he is a good example of that. Do you, would you call this a great episode or at least a really good one? Yes, I would. Nice. I'm interested to see what you think because I think we've got like maybe 15 episodes left of really? this line. Yeah. Wow. We're getting down to the home stretch. Wow. Crazy. I So I'll be honest with you. I think that the finale of Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. all good things, even though I think Deep Space Nine is a better show, I think the finale of The Next Generation is a better finale. Okay. But I really like the way things end up in DS- DS9, with okay. some exceptions, which we'll get to later. So you're satisfied with it? For the most part. For the part. most part. Okay. For the most part. There are a few things that I have issues with. Okay. But I don't want to give it away too much. Okay. Yes. J-Lo. Yes. Is there anything else you want to say about this episode? No. Okay. I think we uh, pretty much pretty much said what we have to what we wanted to say. Yes. We had good testadas last night. Oh yeah, I had to. Yeah, I we did, but there something happened, and it was my mistake. Oh yeah. I fully acknowledge it. I will never do it again. Okay. So. Oh. At one point, Alana was cooking with the beans, and I take over. I forget why. But I, and I say, babes, you made a huge mess. And you're like, let me clean that up right so, now. So the on I cake. made the mistake of doing that. I also made the mistake of not wetting the paper towels. But I usually do not clean while I'm cooking. It's just not, I usually don't do that. Okay. I made a mistake of doing that last night because I thought I could. And I, I, I just assumed that you were you wetted down the paper towels. And I thought I, 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 I did not. I don't know why I didn't do it. I think I was like rushing to get it done I, I was that was that was not very smart on my part but here's where i thought you went really wrong the paper towel is now on fire and i say fire run to the sink and you just stand there for a minute i'm like fire run to the sink and you just stand there and then finally i'm like run to the sink and you go to the sink and i'm like turn on the water and you're just like looking at me and so i have to run to the sink and turn on the water <laughs> i was in shock okay. and and i did and 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 in my defense and it may not be a good one no. but in my defense it's not the go. When you said fire, I wasn't sure what you meant. If you meant the paper towel was on fire, or if you meant there was a fire on the stove. But I did say and it then, right at the sink. No, you said that. You said that later. Okay. You didn't say it right away, and I didn't. And uh, yeah, that was that was not. But but I will. But I will say this that <laughs> I will never. I will never clean while cooking again because it's just not a good idea. And. And with a dry paper towel at that, that was not that was not smart on my part. I will acknowledge it. That was a that was a mistake. It could have gone a lot worse, but thank goodness nobody was hurt, and I didn't start a huge fire. And yeah, and the tostadas were pretty good. The, the, to, the tostadas were really good, actually. After that happens, mm-hmm. we watched from dusk to dawn, and then decided between that and the other sister that we were going to make our pasta salad which i'm starting to get hungry i think we should have some yes i think we should and we we made more than enough yeah but yeah uh we're getting everything ready and somebody decided to thaw out olives and not drain them and i thought i did i really did think i did but that was 
So usually we have olives in our pasta salad, but not today, okay? I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm a little bit nervous too to see how much sauce I added to it. I think it's good because you you added the cream cheese and everything else, and I think there's a lot of pickle in there. Yeah, I would have liked to have some olives in there. But I know there's a lot of pickle in there, but yes, yes. I think it'll be fine. Overall, I'm very excited. As am I. Yes. As am I. Yes. I think I think it it um. I, I I would hope that it's um um it all melded together in into a, a yummy salad because I'm getting hungry now. I am too. So let's let's kind of wrap this up because I think we're now past two hours. Wow, are you serious? I think so. Wow, we had a lot to say. Uh, we did. Yes. Did you have any dreams last night? Um, <laughs> if I did, I can't remember them, and usually I do, but I can't remember it. I know I had dreams. I don't really remember them either. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's good. We're getting close. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say? Uh, no, I do not have anything to say. I'm just really hungry and, uh. I am too. I think the last thing we should do is kiss. Oh. oh. Okay. Mm. Mm. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right. That's enough. Is there anything else you wanted to say now that we kissed? Um, I think we discussed a lot of things and I think it'll give our uh viewers some things to think about i do too yes all right j-lo uh i'm hungry let's go get some food all right bye 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 bye